0: Hello
1: everybody, this is Burt Kreischer and you're listening to my podcast. It's a good one today. By the way, I'm on tour. I don't know when this drops, but I am on tour. Just suffice to say, I've added tour dates well into 2022 and uh, and I am hitting everywhere. Go to BurtBurtBurt.com. I'm sure Halston's throwing up my tour dates right now and they're scrolling, but go to BurtBurtBurt.com. Something smells in here. I think Mac pissed in here. It smells like piss? You just pissed. No, I smell piss where I'm sitting. I wouldn't be shocked if Matt. Fucking Mac, I smell piss in here. Either that or it might be my feet. Check to see if you piddled a little bit. Me? Yeah. No, I. You don't. You can't smell your own piss. (laughs) Well, if it's It's strong, depends on what you've been eating this week. I have not. I have the worst fucking gut problem. I just had one of this Whitney's June Shine. We drink these on the podcast. Prickly pear margarita. It's actually really fucking good. I don't have much of a buzz from it. I smell piss, man. I, I wonder if it's my feet. Um it's this is whitney's check these out they're really enjoyable i drink them with my guest today amanda knox um amanda knox is uh if you don't know she was on rogan by the way that's that's i'm sure she's like thank you for not bringing up the uh highly publicized murder accusations against me first and mentioning that you might have seen her on rogan you might have seen her on rogan you might have seen her on whitney oh yeah also there's a documentary on her on netflix i don't know what that's about look Amanda knox is someone i followed um she was wrongfully accused of murder in Italy in, I think, 2007, um, uh, and and she, I, I followed the case, oddly enough, and then I never thought I'd have the opportunity to talk to her. I hope it's an okay interview. You know I'm not the best at interviewing, so clearly I fucking—I I should, probably shouldn't say that because now you guys are going to be like, I don't even want to listen— it's a good interview. We both cried at at some at one point. Um, we laughed, which I my big fear in this interview is that I was like I'm not the fucking most serious guy in the world, and and we got very serious at times. Um, she told some really riveting stories about that I'd never heard her tell about her incarceration, about her freedom, about her acquittal, about her trial. Um, that and and I'm someone who's listened to a lot of Amanda Knox, oddly enough. But it's a great, great, great interview. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh and like I said, if you haven't heard her on any interviews, she's also on Whitney's podcast and she was also on Joe's podcast. The podcast she did with Joe was fucking awesome. Really was awesome. And it is the reason I subscribe to her podcast called Labyrinths with her husband Chris Robinson. Uh check it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to the one with um Cheryl Hine. Cheryl Hines from Tallahassee. And Cheryl Hines on there. And I think the podcast is mostly about when people feel lost and they don't feel like they're going to get out of being lost. But (coughs) this was a great interview. It was a great interview and a very fascinating person to talk to and and a very strong person. Leanne always talks about people having that Oprah gene and can you get get through adversity and come out on the other side? And this is a woman who has done exactly that. And she is blossoming on the other side right now. And I'm very happy to see that uh so i hope you enjoy the podcast ladies and gentlemen without further ado my friend i guess i can call her my friend now yeah we just spent two and a half hours together my wife my wife played with her baby yeah my friend amanda knox
0: this is
1: You can do whatever you want. There's uh-huh. this podcast is not very formal. Have we started, Halston? Uh, we started already, <laughs> and this is how informal this podcast is. She's not
2: on. Thank you. Go,
1: right? No, she's not on camera. Yeah, that's a that's a. By the way, good call. Don't get your kids on camera. I fucked that up.
0: Oh yeah. Oh
1: my god. Oops. Well, see, I, I didn't I didn't know I was gonna get. Hey, uh, June Shine. Cheers to Whitney Cummings. Yay. This is what, she sent a box of this, is her new hard kombucha.
2: It's gorgeous, just like Whitney. It uh, has a horse on it.
1: Can I tell you what's crazy? Cheers. Cheers. Can I tell you what's crazy? Is I'm having stomach problems today to like like just bloating issues and I think this is gonna fix it. Hmm. I love that taste and I wouldn't have liked that taste as a kid.
2: Well, Whitney says it tastes like her, so that makes a lot of sense.
1: <laughs> Boy, I've fantasized about that, Whitney. <laughs> Who hasn't? Um, uh, That's thank great. you for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. I yeah. followed
1: your, uh, I followed everything when in real time when everything oh. started happening.
2: Oh, when it was ugly. Yeah,
1: and then I saw your documentary. Rogan, you were you were on Rogan, and I saw the documentary. I saw the documentary when it came out.
2: 2016 like, yeah, yeah it
1: came out in 2016 i was like because I, I was like wait she's got a new documentary and i went to watch I was like, i've already seen this <laughs> um it's funny i have a really bad sense of um of retention of information i'm I'm not really good I, I think it was what makes me a good storyteller but i'm not really good at like like little like facts of things okay and so even like all i've known about that stuff i still it, it it's mind-blowing to me that you were only in Italy for like two months before all this shit happened.
2: Yeah. um, I was in Perugia for five or six weeks.
1: By the way, wasn't aware that it was Perugia. And Perugia is between Florence and Rome. Yes. And I've driven through Perugia before. You have. I did. uh, Yeah. uh, Driving from Florence or from Rome to Florence.
2: What time of year?
1: (sighs) I've traveled so much. I have. And this is once again, I I think it's, it's why I have a hard time with details. There's another thing. Okay. I should have written a list. Um, I have a hard time with details. Uh I don't know. I really I couldn't even tell you. I've been to Italy a lot.
2: Okay. Um no worries. Do you
1: still how do you feel about Italy?
2: Um, complicated, right? Um, I mean, I definitely feel like I understand the culture a lot better now. Um, and that was one of my downfalls at the at the beginning was not understanding um gender dynamics there, not understanding um yeah there was there was so much i didn't understand about the culture i had gone there when i was 14 with my family and i had gone and had the sort of romantic uh under the tuscan sun experience with my family where we just ate really good food and went to the coliseum and did the touristy things
1: with, with your mom and stepfather
2: with my whole entire extended family we all like really? got into vans and drove from germany to um italy when i was 14 and did like a, a tour and your and sisters remember-
1: your sisters were how old
2: my sister, so I was 14, so Deanna was 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember I went through, like we went to Pompeii, and I had studied Latin in middle school, and I was walking around, and I had learned about Pompeii, and so I felt like I was the tour guide in Pompeii. Anyway, it was like this beautiful, romantic, like touristy experience, and I thought, oh my gosh, I want to come back. I learned the language, well, I didn't really learn the language, but I tried to learn language went back and um, had a very, very different experience as a young woman um, in the way that I was treated there. Um, but yeah. that isn't to say that it, um, it's not a great place that I don't want to, like, I want to go back and I really? have relationships with people. I've actually been back since everything. Um, did you know that?
1: No, I did not. I knew, well, I knew, you. I remember when you came over here, and by the way, my memory of things is always shady, but mm-hmm. I remember when you came over here and you were still found guilty, and then and and they were trying to extradite you. I do remember following that, mm. and then you were found innocent. And I was and I remember there was a time where they were like, they needed you to go back. You're like, there's no way I'm fucking going back. <laughs> yeah, <They're> like,
2: people <laughs> people said it was a. I was in prison for four years, but there was that four years of but you know potentially facing extradition. That was a really really difficult time for me as well. Because I couldn't really exist in the world as a normal person, I I wanted to plant roots. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to do the get a job, do the things that people do. Um, But I was also having to have meetings with lawyers and talk to them about potentially turning myself in here in the U.S. and hoping that they would let me serve my sentence here if I had to serve a sentence. The
1: thing that the thing that um, the reason I connected with it, me and you have a very similar thing. And I I, someone had said this on somewhere, but. I am the person that if I got charged with a murder, I would behave in a way mm. that would make me look very guilty to anyone. I, I, I've always felt guilty when I didn't do anything. Mm. I, I this is gonna sound crazy, but like, I'm, my buddy Blair uh, had had three hundred bucks in his um in his uh cab cab like sock drawer when we were in college, and he came out and he was like, "Hey, man." you haven't gone through my sock drawer at all, have you? And I was like, no. I was like, why? And he's like, well, I'm missing $300. And I was like, okay. And he wasn't, by the way, he wasn't even really accusing me of it.
2: Right, right. He
1: was was asking. Yeah, like, oh,
2: hey, by the way, have you been through my sock drawer? Although that's a very specific ask. It's a very specific (laughs) ask.
1: I behaved guilty.
2: What did you do? Define behave guilty.
1: But but I just, I behaved guilty. Like I, I remember, like, I remember like, just going like i want like i wonder where a sock drawer is like i don't even know where a sock drawer is and okay. like looking <laughs> in his room one day and he's like what are you doing and i was like i was just looking for a sock drawer i mean it's just like I'm returning to the scene yeah, of the crime yeah. of
0: course I, I just,
1: <laughs> like i when when all this happened to you i went i immediately i was like i don't believe i don't i didn't believe in sex games gone wrong i didn't believe that i looked at you and i was like I'm, i can pretty much assess people pretty easily okay. and i was like and i was like that's not that chick doesn't party like that that's not what that chick looks like, and okay. and and I was and and by the way I was also I had gone through that time in my life. I knew that there are certain things they say where you go, hold on, that doesn't doesn't rub me right. Uh, I'll give you another example, and this is horrible that uh, the, these are the two things. But the Duke rape case. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, when they said that those guys raped her, I went that it didn't happen, and I and I told Leanne I saw I was in a fraternity and we had strippers come over, and the pirate power dynamic is very different than what they're suggesting interesting the power dynamic always is the strippers in control mm. and there are too many guys there are way too many guys with level heads i'm not saying that women don't get raped at these things that's sure, not what i'm but saying but
2: they get ushered off into little but rooms where no one else is watching yeah
1: a, there's a, po- a power dynamic that and shady shit happens but when i saw that i said that didn't happen and i just i just know that doesn't didn't happen leanne's like well it seems like they're guilty I go. I don't know. Just doesn't seem like it would be me. And the same mm. thing happened with you. When I saw that come down, and I was just like, I was like, no man, chicks don't kill their friends. They just don't. That doesn't have. It's not real. And no guy can convince you. There's no sex game. I just it, everything seemed off for me. Yeah. And so, um, but but I have that that like as as you. I'm sure you must have looked back and said. It was innocent. I didn't mean. I was just. I was in the arms of the guy I was dating. I was nervous. I was scared. And then yeah. you see that picture, and you're like, "What? I, 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 that shouldn't incriminate me."
2: Yeah, and I like some of the. It's interesting. I remember Malcolm Gladwell wrote in his book that's, about yeah. how. That's where
1: I, I heard. I heard it. That's yeah, where I heard it.
2: That's where you heard it. So he brought up this interesting point, which is that you know maybe there are some people in the world who have the sort of bad habit of acting guilty even when they're innocent. And he also made the point that there are some people out there who are amazing con men because they are guilty people who totally act innocent and no one would ever think of them. Yeah. I did actually talk to Malcolm Gladwell after his like after he wrote his chapter and I was like, so I don't totally agree with your with what you have to say. And the and the reason is this. That the the idea that he sort of presented was there is a certain kind of person who can be wrongly convicted, and that per- kind of person is an innocent person who acts guilty. And the fact of the matter is that anyone can be wrongly convicted. You don't have to yeah. be a kind of person who acts guilty. And especially when you consider that, like, if a if a detective or if a prosecutor has tunnel vision, what that means is they have motivated reasoning in what they're seeing so they're going to only notice things in a guilty light it's like you know seeing something through rosy glasses because you're in love. Everything looks beautiful. Everything mm-hmm. is wonderful that that person does. Well, it's the same thing with prosecutors or detectives who have just decided like I have a gut feeling about you and now everything that you do to me looks guilty no matter what it is that you're doing. So you cry, it's because you're crocodile tears. If you don't cry, it's because you have no emotions whatsoever. And so I think that's like the, um, a sort of key thing that when we think about wrongful convictions, it's important to like think... Well, sure. They say that they're acting weird, but first of all, who am I to to put myself in like I'm not actually putting myself in their shoes. Yeah. And two, what does acting guilty even mean?
1: What does it mean? And and did like, you, at what point at what point did you start thinking to yourself At what point do you think things went wrong for you?
2: Ugh. Um
1: could there have been, in hindsight, could there have been a different way to call
2: 911? Well, I didn't know how to call 911 in Italy. It's not 911, yeah. right? So I had to go get my boyfriend, Raffaele, at the time to help me deal with that. Um, I think, I mean, I feel like I didn't really have a chance at all, really, from the get-go. Um I think maybe as soon as the um, the TV cameras started rolling, um, which was immediately, basically, like we were out, we were still outside of our house, like a new crime scene, and there were already cameras across the street rolling. And I feel like that was when the police felt like they were under pressure to perform, and when they decided that they needed to find a guilty party immediately. Really, and from that point on, that meant that they were no longer. Searching just based on evidence, they were searching based on gut feelings, and like ultimately, what happened is the evidence did eventually lead them to the real killer, someone who did act guilty by running away, like this literally was, ran away. Like, this
1: was the guy, Rudy.
2: Yeah, Rudy Guede. So,
1: Rudy, this is another thing I, I don't think I ever really wrapped my head around. Root, you guys met Rudy. L- let me start from the beginning, so because mm-hmm. Rudy had come down to your and like hung out at your house a couple of times, right?
2: So Rudy Gaudet was a a local. Um, He played basketball, like did sort of pick up basketball with um, in the local like basketball court that was in front of the university. And that was really nearby my house. So the guys that lived in the apartment downstairs from us often would play basketball with him like pickup games.
1: And those were like two law students, right?
2: So no, those, so the two law students that you're thinking of are the other two roommates that I had besides Meredith. Those okay. are two Italian women.
1: Oh, oh, okay. I thought those were dudes. I must've no. clumped them in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So we lived on the top floor of a house and then on the bottom floor there lived four guys and they were all just doing their thing. Um, it was a separate apartment situation, but we would occasionally go out to dinner together or like go out to a club together. Like it just, you know, household dynamics, but they would go and play basketball, have pickup games with whoever was there, including Rudy Guede, and occasionally those people would come over to their house. And one time, Rudy Guede came to their house, and they invited us downstairs, and that's when we met Rudy Gaday.
1: And Rudy, kind of, if I'm not mistaken, he had a crush on you.
2: That's what they say. I don't. I didn't know that. Apparently, after we went and like hung out with them for a few minutes, they were. They sort of after a while me and Meredith just went back upstairs it was time to go to bed. And afterwards it was when they were sort of talking about us and Giacomo, one of the guys downstairs had a crush on Meredith. So I'm sure that they brought that up and then maybe Rudy Gade said something about me. That's at least what those said when I was on trial, but no one ever told me that I didn't even actually know his name until I was already arrested. Really? Yeah.
1: And, 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 you and, and you, but you you got there in like September, right? October, September. So
2: I got to Europe in September, and then I spent time with my family in um, Germany. And then I went. Down. Do you have
1: family family in Germany? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Go I'm actually
2: Germany. going to be going to Germany in a few weeks to visit my aunt. Really, mm-hmm.
1: I love Germany. Yeah, I love. Have Germany. you been there for Oktoberfest? Well, I love no. So my fiftieth is next year, and my wife said um, we want to do something big, and our our best friend. Um, her is turning 50 a week before me and mm-hmm. she wants to do she wants to ride bikes through the Swiss Alps Ooh. and Ooh. so yeah well you yeah. apparently you know it's, it's so funny I'd talked to um I talked to uh Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson uh they're sons and daughters of uh Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I said what what's one of the funnest things you guys ever did as kids and they were like mountain uh biking through the swiss alps they're like it was the funnest thing you'd go you'd mountain bike you'd go have sit down drink eat lunch and then you'd mountain bike for another hour and then go have dinner eat and drink and so i was like thinking of that and then i was like well if i want to tag my trip onto that i will kind of take the girls to germany and my daughter georgia this is it's interesting we were talking about you have your 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 newborn here um my daughter georgia wants to go to italy yeah, and she. So we're taking like study
2: abroad or just visit.
1: Just she wants for graduation. She wanted me, mm. her, and her sister and her mom to go to Italy for so like oh, a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I started thinking to myself, you know, it's crazy the vulnerability that happens when you have a child when mm. when you don't want them to to fail ever. You don't want them to have hardships. You clearly don't want them to be wrongfully accused for a murder and spend. Uh, what was it? Ten years fighting for the eight years. eight years. Yeah, for total. Innocence. You also don't want them to be murdered. You don't want them to be murdered, but you, but there is certain things that I'm sure you must see that your life has changed in a way that you that you you those hardships make you a better person. Mm. Me not getting. You know, George is applying to colleges, and I—I I I really wanted her to. It's very clear where I wanted her to go, and so <laughs>
0: <laughs> wink, wink.
1: I—I <laughs> I I, I took her there, and then you were like, "Oh, you're afraid. What if she doesn't get in?" But that not getting into college makes you a better person. You—you mm. you need to fail. You need to have hardships, and—and and it sucks to watch them have hardships. It sucks so much because. It, it it just bums me out and you're at the very beginning of this road and and i'm so curious like i, w- I was wondering what's what's one thing about old amanda that you that is kind of dead that you go i that mm. that didn't make it through the like old amanda when in high school she like like that didn't make it through the prison stint
2: yeah no that's a really good question um what didn't make it
1: one of the things i found interesting is that you said you had you'd only had sex with you could count the number of partners on one hand by the way i can go two hands but i'm real close to one hand (laughs) and so but up until i lost my virginity i was going to be very sexually active like i was on a path to be like i'm just gonna bag as many chicks as possible and then that first experience was so vulnerable for me, mm. and so imprinting of like who I genuinely was that I that it, it changed me forever. And I, I, the next girl I dated, which was a longtime girlfriend, I didn't have sex with. I didn't have sex with because I didn't. I just was like, I, I don't. I'm not ready to do it again. And it, I mean, very few boys go. The, I'm not ready to do it again. Yeah. And and I've only been with a grand total of like six women because. Because of that first time experience,
2: can I ask? Uh, is that too much to pry into that? Because I'm actually really curious about that. I, of course. I like was it was it was someone that you were in love with? Was
1: uh, it was someone? I don't even know if she knows it's her, but uh, it was someone that I was that was like out of my league. I, I thought was out of my league, um, and I would say I was in love with. I, I don't know if I knew I wasn't in love with, but I was. Definitely, um very, very, very attracted to. I mean, she was like, if I remember correctly, I think she was like in the homecoming queen or something. Like, okay, she was a year older than me too.
0: Okay, and, interesting.
1: And um, and it it was it was a it was a mess. It was a mess. It was not. It did not go off the way I thought it was going to go off. Okay, I was very, I was very clumsy. I did it, nothing. And it and and then the, what really affected me was the day after, and then the, the preceding month after, was being afraid if she got pregnant or being afraid that I got AIDS.
2: Really? Yeah. And okay. So it wasn't like you had this deep emotional connection. It was just not this sort of, I'm a go getter, like I know what I'm doing, kind of experience. I and thought and it therefore, was, I
1: thought it could be very, uh, very franchisey, like you know, go in. Uh, you do it with this person. That was really cool. I'm going to go on to the next person. But what I realized is, oh, I, I only want to do this with people that I absolutely love and I want and I trust. Mm. And I don't. And I don't like. I, I need to be like, this is us. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember the like three days after I lost my virginity, maybe maybe a week. I was gonna go to dinner with her. I really hope she never hears this. Um, I, I was we don't to have dinner. to talk no, about it. Either. I, I'm an open book. I, that's my 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 flaw, but it's a good flaw to have. I don't mind telling telling the truth about things. Yeah. Um, I uh, her her family wanted to take me to dinner, and. They came, she came to the door to get me, and I ran to the bathroom and started throwing up violently. Aww. I was having, I was like, I just, I to this day, can't but
2: was this see. like all in your it's own all in my head. head? And, and like head. she was perfectly nice was to you and everything. She was awesome.
1: Hmm. She was awesome. I just was like, I was like, I was a mess. I was a mess. But huh? one of, this, one of the things I, when I'm, when you know, I followed your story, when I heard your story is that they painted you as this sex demon. You're like, I wasn't. I no. had. But you, but you were at a point where you were like, "Hey, I'm gonna sow my oats while I'm here. I'm gonna make i am I'm gonna have a couple boyfriends. I'm gonna have fun." Yeah. And I was like, "I bet. I was like, that's gone. I bet that's gone."
2: Oh yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's gone. That <laughs> There's no feeling you that didn't come like, back to Seattle. Like, all right, I'm back in the saddle. Who wants it?
2: <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. Um, yeah. No, that is actually very true. I I think that when I went there, I had this feeling like even even more so than going to college for the first time, I was like, I am on my own. I am an independent woman and I am taking care of myself and doing my independent woman thing. Mary Tyler Moore syndrome. Yeah, and um, it didn't work out. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> um, and I didn't know, like, that's that's one of the things that maybe would have turned it around is if I had known to ask for help. I didn't know that I could or should ask for help. I didn't know that I needed help um, in those first few days after you know we discovered that my roommate had been murdered. And prior to my arrest, like there were four days there where I was being interrogated for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I was being told that it was because I was an important witness that I was close to Meredith, that I lived in the house, I had discovered the crime scene, so I had to be there at the beck and call of the police for hours and hours and hours on end, answering their, like, same questions over and over and over again, and I had this feeling of, like, I feel like they're mad at me, or am I just, like, is my language not good enough, and that's why they keep asking me the same questions over again, what's going on here? And I remember my aunt, who's in Germany, um, was like, maybe you should talk to the American embassy. And my mom was calling me and was like, maybe I should come over there and help you. Um, and I kept thinking, but, you know, I'm I'm OK. I'm hanging out with Raffaele. He's letting me stay at his apartment until we figure everything out. I've, I feel like I, I I'm not like a little kid anymore. I, I can find my a new apartment and, and everything. And it did not occur to me that I was actually like strapped to the train tracks and I was just looking the other direction while the train was about to hit me. And I just didn't know. And other people around, like even people who were thousands of miles away were like, something's not right. And indeed the day my mom arrived in Italy was the day they arrested me.
1: Everyone knows about my weight loss journey. Sometimes you feel trapped and you don't know which are good foods or which are bad foods. And it just creates unnecessary dilemmas. Noom is here to change how we see food with a psychology-based approach that looks at what you eat, but also how you eat. Instead of making you feel guilty or regret, Noom empowers you to keep going. Ron's chick is our bus driver, Ron. His chick lost 50 fucking pounds on Noom. He swears by it. When we we were betting Nadav a million dollars that he couldn't lose 75 pounds, and and Ron was like I got his answer it's noom this is what's great you don't need you don't need rules to lose weight you just need the knowledge and wisdom to empower you to build smarter more sustainable habits that is exactly what i'm doing right now noom's cognitive behavioral approach helps you better understand your relationship with food and how to be more mindful of your habits it gives you the knowledge to support and support you need for long lasting change 75% of noom users finish the program and more than 60% of the users engaged with the program, keep the weight off for a year or more. All you need is 10 minutes a day, a daily check-in, no grueling early mornings or huge chunks out of your day, and if you f- don't worry, if you fall off track, Noom will help get you back on track. Start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noomcom BirdCast. That's n o BirdCast. Are you thinking about a gift you can get the whole family? maybe a gift for the fitness lover in your life maybe you have a wife who gets out aggression sometimes and you think this might be a perfect gift this would be a perfect fucking gift for Leanne. the holidays are coming up we know it's most stressful time of year and the perfect gift is right around the corner fight camp it brings the best workouts in the world into your home and makes it fun learn to box kickbox from home with access to world-class programming elite trainers Premium equipment and smart technology that turns your workout into an interactive experience. I'm telling you, man, you find a way to make working out fun and and distracting, and then you can work out all the time. Talk about distracting. They have a thousand, thousands of classes, and these are quick workouts. You can do them in as little as 20 minutes or less. If you have no boxing experience, Fight Camp has your back. They've created programs specifically designed to teach you the basics of boxing and kickboxing so you can build a strong foundation. What's awesome, they provide real-time data during your workout so you can track your progress and work toward goals, see exactly how you're improving over time. It's a full-body workout and a brain workout because boxing requires focus. Precise combinations push you to think about the punches you throw. When I watch those guys in... um. Uh, do those combinations it's overwhelming excited to do them for the movie and you really use your brain and it's great for the whole family you can get the whole family involved fight camp is one of the only home workouts that's safe for kids to do because there are no heavyweights no spinning wheels and it's an amazing way for the, get them to get their energy out right now is the best time to get your fight camp take advantage of their holiday pricing going on now to save over 200 on a fight camp package if you purchase this month you'll get an additional pair of gloves valued at $149 for free. The deal is going on now, but it ends soon. Just go to joinfightcamp.com slash Burt to get a free additional pair of gloves for free and save $200. Go to joinfightcamp.com slash Burt. That's joinfightcamp.com slash Burt. How soon until the murder to you reach out to your parents. Did you call them that day and be like, Oh, something bad happened.
2: Well, I did call my mom before I even knew something bad had happened. Like I called my mom. So what I, what happened that morning, the morning of November 2nd, actually today is oh the uh, anniversary of her death. Um, I came home to take a shower and get changed into new clothes. So I could go off for a weekend with Rafaele to this town called Gubbio. Um, And, I came home and found the door wide open, which was odd and no one home. And so I like sort of called out, like, is anyone home? Okay. No one locked the door behind me, took a shower, but then noticed things were off. There was like poop left in the other toilet. There was, it was just, things were off. And so I went back to Raffaele's house and I told him that. And then we, when we came back together, I called my mom and I was like, "Mom, I don't really know what's up. Like, I have a weird feeling that something's wrong, but I don't know what it is." And she was just like, "Talk to Rafaela. Talk to your roommates. Like, figure out what's going on." I called her in the middle of the night. I didn't even think about it. Um, but yeah, my first thought was, "Talk to my mom. Talk to Rafaela, and talk to my mom," um, because my roommates weren't answering their cell phones. So
1: Jesus. Now, what about your other two roommates, the law students? Did they get? Did, did they get interrogated?
2: They got questioned, but not as much as me.
1: And they were law students and they spoke the language. Yes. And do you think that they, did they point to you and go, did they stand up for you or?
2: So they did not point to me. Um, I mean, even the day I was arrested, like right before that, I was interrogated. Philomena, one of my roommates, called me up and was talking to me about getting another apartment together. So like we were all on on good terms trying to figure out the situation together up until I was arrested. And then once I was arrested, they did not stand up for me. So um, this is actually something that um, is being studied by some students in New York at John Jay University. Uh, There's a student who's calling it the Philomena effect after my roommate, which is that someone who you trust and you're you're on good terms with as soon as they're accused Suddenly, you change your opinion about them. So everything you say up to that point is like, "Oh yeah, they're totally cool, not suspicious at all." And then they get accused, and then they change their perspective. Which, if you make, if you think about it, actually kind of makes a lot of sense. Like, oh, you're hanging out with people, everything's totally fine, and then someone tells you, "Oh, that person raped someone." Um, You're like, "Oh, maybe I have a whole new perspective of who that person is," even though. I never would have thought about that, about that person before Mm -hmm. and say that then that rap rape accusation is wrong. And then you're like, Oh shit. Now I just thought all these horrible things about somebody who totally didn't deserve it. And also I never thought about that, about that person before anyway. Anyway, so
1: it's, yeah, though it's very common in cancel culture Yes, is you don't know you, you hear something horrible about someone, uh, you know, a rape accusation. Mm -hmm. It's happened a number of times in the comedy circles Mm -hmm. and you just see, how many people just start flocking away and just going just distancing themselves yeah and then and then you know it's what's interesting is that i think cancel culture piles on and people start uh getting mad if you don't reach out to them and if you do reach out to them people get mad and so it's it's just a weird fucking time but that
2: yeah and cancel culture is really bad because it's not like the criminal justice system where there are rules yeah there's there, no rules there's no rules there's no like there's no way to determine what counts as evidence or not. It's all just sort of based on feeling and how one acts in the aftermath of being accused, which is really interesting. Oh,
1: if my wife disappears, I'm just going to say I killed her. Cause I'm, I'm going to behave so much like I killed her. I'll be like, I, I, I if Leanne goes missing, I'm just going like, to like
0: digging a grave I in the did backyard it, I did and it. they're I, like, what are yeah. you doing?
1: I was like, you, you want me to have done it. You, I know you want me to have done it. I'll let you just, I'll just kill me. No. Oh, I've i I definitely I uh yeah. I couldn't I couldn't do what you did. I think about that a lot. I couldn't do what you did. I couldn't what do you la- mean? I couldn't I wouldn't be where you are today had that been me.
2: Well you don't know that. No,
1: I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I got accidentally locked into a cell in Alcatraz. And I had a panic <laughs> oh attack. God. I got uh, accidentally locked.
2: I would have a panic attack as well. I do not do well with being enclosed in spaces.
1: I, oh, I mean. God.
2: I don't like elevators.
1: I, I don't like handcuffs. Mm. I don't like. I, I I have a real problem with uh, wrongful accusations. I it, it sends me when you can't stand up for yourself and someone accuses you of something and you can't stand up for yourself and you just watch it spread like wildfire because it and it just sends me through the roof and i and i i just i've just learned to never to look at anything you know like like i remember one one time one guy this is like fucking probably 15 years ago no probably 10 years ago he was like, you're just an alcoholic that gets on stage and tells the same stories over and over again. And by the way, I don't, right? I don't. Like, I've, obviously, I have four fucking specials. I'm, I clearly, I, I write. He's referring to the fact that I tell the machine story, which is fascinating that I have I, to admit
2: that I don't know any of these stories. Oh,
1: well, well. <laughs> I, I am, I am, imagine. <laughs> I don't know the right way to say this. I am famous for all like almost the same path you took, except I got away with it. If that makes sense, I didn't murder anybody, but I robbed a train.
2: And you did?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. So who I,
2: robs a train today? <laughs> like, what are you, you talking about? You traveled
1: abroad. You know how crazy things can get. <laughs> 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 I, I was when I was in college. I went to. Um, russia to study abroad okay and at the time the russian mafia ran everything okay and uh and i became friends with and them. so
2: you thought oh i'll just well i
1: became friends with them and they were cool in saint petersburg they were very light and very user-friendly in saint petersburg just partied okay. stories go to a club and then how
2: did you know they were mafia and not just a fun times club
1: because they were um because uh, the way that our the, the way that um the russia ran back then is in order to stay safe you had to pay off the mafia
2: ah so so these are like some guys who would be like here i want some of your money and you'd be like okay and then they were like all right cool let's go drink
1: no so the bigger organization would be like amen if you want to stay safe and you don't want people robbing you left and right because you guys are a group of americans right you need someone to just be around so if something happens they can be like hey nope and say Ah. the right words and so, obviously, and I mean this very respectfully, I hope to God they're not listening, but they were very low-level, entry-level dudes that were not scary fucking guys. They were very, I, I would argue, very sweet dudes. Uh, and I never saw them do anything horrific. My guys.
2: Right. And in the movies, they would just be the ones that would get capped immediately, and you'd never heard their story. Yeah, yeah. probably.
1: And then and then we went and we took a train, and a different mafia ran the train, and a different mafia ran Moscow. And... Uh, i met i i got two new gangsters on the train and they were a little different less user-friendly a little more aggressive and we ended up drinking getting pretty drunk and then robbing the train and then and then Wait. and then we got to moscow the We cops like were skipped there. over
2: the robbing the train part yeah well How do you right now right a now every
1: one of my listeners goes did Bert kreiser bring amanda knots on his podcast to tell her the machine story <laughs> They're losing their fucking mind. They're like, "What's next? What's next? You gonna bring up fucking Van Wilder?"
0: <laughs> I like this story without jokes in it. Yeah,
1: and so, uh, so we get to Moscow, and 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 uh, the police are there, and they're like interrogating my class. It's been robbed, and my teachers, and you know, everyone's upset. And I get off the train, and the cop comes up to me, and he's like. Uh, so I understand you're the machine. That was my nickname, and I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Tonight you party with us," and I was like, "All right." And so it's like, com- I think it's why I was intrigued by your story okay. initially because I got in trouble studying abroad, and I got away with it, and it gave me a career. And so I told okay. my story just like you did on Joe Rogan, probably ten years ago, and mm. it, and it became viral. And wow! And I started, and it started. Now it's a story I tell every time when I go on stage. I tell it at the end of the show okay and so it's it's very fascinating to see because I, I often think i there's a very very real i mean I, and I know this story is bigger than what i'm it was a real experience in my life
2: i mean that sounds potentially very scary and
1: and I remember distinctly um the the feeling of panic and i this is I would never talk about this on stage I don't think it serves a story but the genuine fe- feeling of panic that I got walking off the train the cop called me over and walking to the cop and going well, I've really fucked up. Like I've really fucked Oof. up, and um, and I did it. By the way, I did the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as I got closer to the cop, I just remember him. He was, he wasn't as upset as I thought he was, and he was talking to the gangster, and he was a little lighter. And I got up to him, and he just looked at me, and he goes, "So I understand you're the machine." And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not in trouble." And he's like, "No, you're not in trouble. Fuck that bitch. This is Russia." And I was like,
2: "Wow, okay,"
1: and then it was like, "Oh my god, like what the fuck just happened?" It was really a whirlwind. It was a, one of the drunkest I've ever been in my life, also. But um, but I remember hearing, thinking, I remember identifying when you're hearing your story. I remember identifying with being being abroad hmm. and and uh, and that feeling uh, that feeling when I thought I was getting arrested in Russia. I remember I was thinking, I don't, I'm not ready for the gulag. That's all I kept thinking.
2: Yeah, no, I, I've heard horror stories about Russian prisons from prisoners um, in Italy who are Russian. Um, But what's, I think what's interesting for me is that it took me a long time to realize how fucked I was. Like it was not even clear to me when I was being arrested that I was fucked. Really? Yeah, because like they didn't tell me that I was being arrested for murder. They like put handcuffs on me and like stripped me naked and took photos of my body and all of that. They did all of that. But telling me that it was, again, because I was a witness and they were taking me somewhere for my own protection and that I would get to see my mom and like all of this bullshit. And they took me to prison. And then I just sat in a cell for a while and I didn't know that i was even accused of murder until i was brought before a judge and a judge then said you are you know you're being investigated for the murder of meredith kircher how do you plea and that was like the first that i knew understood what was happening and even then it like took a really really long time for me to like realize no this isn't just like a terrible misunderstanding like this is this is real um and I, you know, it took me two years, right? Like I didn't really, really fully realize how fucked I was until I was actually wrongly convicted until I got the guilty verdict. Because those two years leading up to that, I just kept thinking, there's no way. There's, like, there's
1: no way. No there's way. That's, I, that's what I kept thinking. For you, I kept going, why doesn't someone just go over there and tell them they're wrong? Like, I, I kept thinking that.
2: Like, who's supposed to be the adult in the room here? Like, what is going on? Um, And... Yeah, I kept thinking that there was all just a big misunderstanding and they would figure it out like they they, the evidence would come back and they would figure it out. And then evidence kept coming forward that they either made up or was out of completely out of nowhere um, that would eventually get, you know, taken down by independent experts who would be like, no, that's bullshit. But like, in the meantime, I'm hearing things like, oh, your your DNA and Meredith's DNA is on a knife. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's impossible. Like, what are you talking about? And they were just like, "That's just the way it is." And so I'm sitting there going, "I'm, I'm in, I'm Alice in Wonderland right now, and there's nothing I can do about it." And meanwhile, I'm like in a cell, and everyone's talking about me, but like in the news and the media, blah, blah blah, and I can't say anything.
1: It didn't help that you were so fucking photogenic.
2: That's what they say. I don't think that I'm particularly photogenic. Amanda,
1: I'm sure there's people <laughs> that have been wrongfully accused that I was not interested in, like. I- Clearly, I was interested in you because I found you attractive. I saw that picture and I went, "Who is that?" Mm. That's. I mean, that's the. I mean, that, it's it. It stinks because I literally said I was like, "She is beautiful," mm. and then I was like, "Wait, what the fuck?" And then, and then I was like, "There's no, there's no way." And and at what point in your incarceration did they find Rudy guilty of doing this?
2: Right. So one, can I take off my shoes? By do the whatever way? you want. Thank you. I just wanted to get like yeah
1: i'm a i'm a a big uh crisscross applesauce guy by the way (laughs) i've been saying crisscross applesauce since i had kids the other night i was on an in in on an indian reservation telling jokes and i just naturally said sitting crisscross applesauce and everyone laughed and i went the alternative is saying something very offensive on a fucking Indian reservation (laughs) so i'm so glad that my like when you talk about progress that my kids got me to start saying crisscross applesauce
2: did you ask them how they would say it (laughs) who At the Indian Reservation. No, I
1: wasn't going to roll the dice on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think they just call it sitting. Okay. Oh, fair
2: enough. <laughs> um, so Rudy Gaudet, um was discovered. They found his fingerprints in her blood, by the way, at the crime scene after they had arrested me already. Um, And so they ran his prints. They found him. He's he's a guy who had already been in the system. He had been arrested before for having done exactly the same thing, broken and entered into people's homes, um, even wielding a knife. He has never had raped and murdered anyone yet. Um, They so they found out who he was. They found out that he had skipped town that he had skipped the country, actually. And then they got a friend of his to sort of get on Skype with him at the time to like talk to him and figure out where he was. And then once they found out where he was, they had the German police go and arrest him and extradite him back to Italy. So they found him actually very, very soon. Like if you think about it, two weeks isn't, isn't a long time to go with not knowing like they caught the murderer in two yeah. weeks. That's a really good job, except they had already accidentally or not accidentally arrested other people too. And so all, you
1: and Raffaella
2: Raffaella and my Raffaele. boss, Patrick the Mumba and Is he a black dude. Mm-hmm, yes. And when they found basically Patrick, the Mumba had an alibi from the get go. Like multiple people had said that he was with them that entire night, but they arrested him anyway, even though I recanted and kept him in prison until they were able to get Rudy Gade and they just sort of swapped them out. So Patrick Lumumba was allowed to be free. Rudy Gade was put into prison and then he was being investigated alongside um, Raphael and me. And then in Italy, what they do is they have a sort of, I guess it's their version of a grand jury trial where it's not like a trial trial with like, you know, a jury and, um, and, you know, witnesses and, and all of that. It's just like a judge who hears what the prosecution, what evidence they have before them, and then you can decide if you wanna do a fast-track trial to either get a verdict then, or you can decide, okay, the judge is gonna say whether or not this merits going to trial. And so what me and Rafaele did, we did not want to forego an actual trial, which would allow us to bring experts in and to hear witnesses and all of that. Yeah. We absolutely wanted that. Rudy Gade's attorneys, however, knew that he, there was so much evidence against him that there was no point. In going to a big jury trial, and the the thing that you the benefit that you get from doing a fast track trial by just being judged right then and there is you get a third of your sentence cut off. So, so basically, it's,
1: it's basically a guilty plea.
2: It's basically a guilty plea. So he did the guilty plea equivalent in Italy while maintaining his innocence. Was found guilty, sentenced to thirty years, and we, Raffaele and me, were sent on to be tried in a big trial.
1: Well, now when you say recant, did you give them a false confession?
2: I gave them, I signed false statements um, that they wrote for me. Um, I was.
1: So it was never you saying this is what happened. It was that they wrote it down and you just signed it.
2: It was, it's complicated. The way that it happened was, again, I was being interrogated for hours and hours and hours. Um, They brought me in that final night. It was in the middle of the night. And they told me that everything that I knew was wrong. Everything that I was saying to them was wrong, that I had actually witnessed something horrible and that I just didn't remember it because of how traumatic it was. And if I didn't remember what they told, what they wanted me to remember, then I was going to never see my family again. And so here I am thinking, I must be crazy. Like, why are these people yelling at me? Why are they hitting me? Why are they telling me I'm never going to see my family again? They must be right i must have witnessed something and now i don't remember so they
1: weren't and this i apologize this is something you've said before but they weren't like good copying you they were just good cop bad copying you like they were being they were being aggressive to you
2: yes the vast majority of them were being aggressive to me there was one cop who was telling me hey just so you know like I've been in a car accident before and I forgot everything. I have no memories of being in the car accident. This is probably exactly like the car accident. You probably just witnessed something so horrible that you don't even remember it. And it's not your fault. Meanwhile, everyone else is telling me that I'm a fucking liar and they're screaming at me. So what ended up happening is they found- What a fucking,
1: what what a shit language to be yelled at into because italian's such a fucking passionate language
2: yeah it, it, everything's like rhymes yeah, everything fucking <laughs> just yeah
1: good god
2: um anyway they found a text message between me and my boss patrick lumumba and that said like we had exchanged text messages the night that the murder happened and so they were like oh look you and you were making an appointment to meet with your boss so that he could rape and murder Meredith," at house. and so that's how that all came about um and yeah, and what's really frustrating is that all of my interrogations up to that point had been recorded, but then very, very conveniently that one interrogation was not recorded. And so it's my word against them what happened. But meanwhile, they they got what they wanted.
1: That is, uh, it is so fucking colossally frustrating. You know who it sucks the most for in all of this is like is Meredith's parents. Yes, like I I agree. When I first started following this, I empathized very closely with you. When I listened to Rogan, and I listened, you were great on Rogan. By the way, you were fantastic on Joe. It was just such a great interview. Well, he was just so Um, nice. He Joe's the fucking greatest. He really is the greatest. I I, you know, uh, but I as I very quickly as a parent started. Kind of feeling for Meredith's family yeah. and going, yeah, but there's, like there's a person that was lost and it sounds like a fun person. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's, I, I know you guys hung out for only for like two months, but it seems like you guys, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, she was really, really nice. She was a very nice person, very smart. Um, like she had her quiet moments when she would just go read on this those steps, but also she would love to go get pizza and we would go and go grocery shopping together, went dancing together. Like she was a really nice person. And you're right, like the Italian justice system had a duty to her parents most of all. And they just made what should have been a very simple and straightforward case into an overly complicated mess so that they never feel like they can ever have closure
1: well then yeah never I don't I don't feel like I don't even feel like and I've know a great deal about this trial I don't even feel like there's closure I feel like the fact that that Rudy guy just kind of got in got out and and was like you know
2: and he's out of prison now yeah so. he's, yeah
1: he's already out of prison um have you spoken to her family at all?
2: I have not spoken directly to them. I've I've attempted at various times to send them a message conveying the, my desire to talk to them, but I have not pushed on the issue because I understand how complicated it is. Um, I, at the very least, know that um, her dad very much felt that I was guilty um, and that they didn't appreciate the fact that my family pushed so hard to change the the tide that was happening in the media So, like in the very like in the first months of my arrest like i was slaughtered in the media i was just the biggest drug addled horrible horror monster of a person And my family was told by our lawyers, like, don't say anything in the media. We need to keep this to the courtroom, blah, blah, blah. And eventually my family was like, we can't take this anymore. The things that they're saying about Amanda are all wrong. We need to counter this narrative that's like the court of public opinion is slaughtering her. They're not just making her guilty. They're slaughtering her. We need to stand up for her. So they started standing up for me in a big way, and that changed what was at that point a— less complicated narrative, just evil woman. Like, slammed yeah. Off narrative. Yeah. And that was something that I, I know frustrated the Kircher family because they felt like in the process of my family defending me, the focus of the trial was shifting away from their daughter and onto me. And, and in a way that is true, but in another way, it's, like this sort of blame was put onto me. Like how dare, you know, Amanda defend herself, basically. But what was actually the problem was that the prosecution and the media had decided to focus on me in the first place. And I never should have been focused upon. Mm-hmm. Like I was I had nothing to do with this and the they never actually focused as much as much attention on the actual murderer as they should have. And so If my family and I had had it our way, like I never would have been accused. I never would have been put on trial. This all would have been focused on Meredith and we would have all like agreed. But the fact that like the prosecution decided to sell a insanely sexist, totally made up story. And then the media, instead of holding them accountable to the truth and to the evidence, they just latched onto that story and ran with it and scandal mongered and got so much money out of it. And then, like people come to me and say, "Well, how how do you feel about the fact that Meredith has been forgotten? Like, don't you feel bad about that?" And it's like, "Well, sure, but it's not my fault. Like, I was never the one who made this not about Meredith. Yeah. That was the Italian justice system and the media. So,
1: yeah, it was. I uh, it was really crazy that because I do I, I think that you're right. They did focus. I, Meredith was a was a was a sidebar." in this whole fucking thing it was about how you were guilty mm-hmm. as opposed to you know it's like i, the, I think sometimes about nicole simpson and uh mm. and the, the kid that was with her goldman ron goldman oh yeah yeah i think it was ron goldman you know he gets forgotten he was also yeah. a human being
2: just brutally 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 slayed. murdered
1: yeah. and he was also a guy that had dreams yeah uh it's it's yeah, heartbreaking. Um, but you, and when you say you reached out, do you just send them messages on Twitter?
2: So no, <laughs> no. Um, so there are a few people who have acted, who have at least claimed to have been able to be intermediaries to send a message to them for me. Yeah. Um,
1: and they're in England.
2: Yeah, but I, I, I honestly don't know if they've ever even received a message from yeah. me. Yeah,
1: It's I would. I don't. You know, it's it's one of those things that I, as a parent, I don't think I need. I I would be like, no, I, I, I might, yeah, I, I might just be like, I don't need to t-. Like, it's funny. I, I've had a lot of people reach out to a lot of my friends have become alcoholics and then they want to apologize for what they've done. And mm. I, might, one of the coolest things I ever realized is I don't need to accept anyone's apology. Mm. Like you don't have to accept someone's apology. You can also just go, Hey man, I'm good. I don't, you must feel horrible, but I feel horrible too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, the first time I had someone, uh, who's you know doing the nine steps and one of the steps is you know you got to go make a forgiveness or whatever. Yeah. I didn't realize it was happening. My wife's like, "Honey, stop. He's trying to apologize." And I was mm. like, "Oh." It was interesting. I let him so apologize. So he was
2: reaching out. Yeah. And he... then you were just like, "I don't want to deal with you personally. No, no, no. He
1: oh. I he was I was like, "No, it's fine. Whatever. dude, Whatever." I was blowing him off. Uh, and my wife's like, "Hey, this is part of his thing." I'm like, "What?" And he and 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 I realized, "Oh, he's saying something." I said, "All right." It was the first time I really got an apology, and I went, "All right, let's do it."
2: The first time in your life,
1: yeah. Where I, where I was like, where I was like, I was like, because I, I apologize very quickly, yeah. And I'm always find guilt on my own actions before anyone else's. So I kind of, I've never really need to forgive people because I just find what I did wrong.
2: Gosh, you would be slaughtered in an interrogation room.
1: You have no idea,
2: like. I feel I actually am also prone to this. Like you know, if something bad is happening, I tend to feel like it's my fault. And mm-hmm. they call that vulnerable narcissism. I just learned that recently.
1: Well, that that tracks <laughs> I'm definitely. A Where you just
2: sort of like feel weirdly shame, and that like that shame is because mm-hmm. everything is everything bad is because of you. That's they I, call it vulnerable narcissism. I
1: had an, an issue. Um, I had an issue with with uh, two individuals. And I kept saying to my friends, "What did I do?" Like mm. it's, I go, I, "I know nothing exists in a vacuum." Like I was there also. What did I do? Yeah. Like I, I want to find my accountability. Yeah. So then I can get to the end of it quicker.
2: Right. Exactly. Like if I do my part, then we're all like everyone just has to do their part. I, I totally feel you. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. that's something that's a big deal for me. And I've um, I found though that. A lot of the time, it's not you, and it's a, someone projecting whatever issue it, that they is that, are, that they have onto you. Yep. And um, that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around because you that means you're helpless. Like I think the thing, and I think the reason why I'm like I'm vulnerable narcissist and you're vulnerable narcissist is because we want to be problem solvers. Like mm-hmm. basically, we just want to like see that people are unhappy and be like, oh, let me fix it for you. Is it my fault? great yeah but like if if the thing isn't really your fault and the thing that they're that you're being accused of or whatever like is not something that happened like how do you fix it yeah and you can't and then you're helpless and i can't
1: i couldn't fix one of the things and then i and then i found a way to fix one of them by allowing that person to blame me what they th- felt that I did, and I knew that it wasn't real, and I went. I said to my buddy, "I was like, I don't think this is real, but I'm cool with it. Like, I just and need, I need cool it to be it. over."
0: Okay.
2: Yeah,
1: and so, so and and so I I remember that first apology, that first like legit AA apology, and I got to sit back and you get to actually decide: Do I accept this apology? Mm-hmm. Do I or or is am I am I comfortable? Not forgiving this person.
2: Because mm. there's
1: there's a, a it is
2: asking forgiveness. It's not like yeah. getting it. You know, you don't yeah. get
1: it. you just say because you say I'm sorry, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I've got to go. I accept that. Yeah. I had a I had a really good friend I had a really good friend um drug me uh at my house one time. What? Yeah, man. Amanda, you guys you should <laughs> These stories are old hat to everyone listening. Everyone listening is like, <laughs>
2: I'm I'm "How do you not know about this?" I need to watch a few specials. I guess I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: and so he he drugged me. And uh, why? I don't know. I I couldn't... was this
2: like a '70s thing. Like, oh, it's just funny to drug people. Oh. No.
1: So me and Joe and uh, Tom and this guy already do this thing. Used to do this thing called Sober October every year.
2: Okay, so, I, I saw one of them on the. It's, uh, yeah, it's up there.
1: Yeah. And so um, we would. Not drink or do drugs for the month of October and we do this workout challenge and cleanse. Yeah, cleanse. Ari was not a fan of it. He did not like it at all. And so And he
2: didn't have to do it.
1: Well, yeah, we 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 said that to him.
2: Like (laughs) this is so fucking
0: bizarre. (laughs) So
1: so he I to maybe get retribution on me. I don't know. I'm not really certain. I could here's the thing is that I don't know why he did it a hundred percent. But he drugged me. We we're doing a podcast and he slipped Molly in my drink. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, um, and, uh,
2: is he still your friend?
1: So that's very interesting. So I didn't speak to him for like the entire month of October. We didn't drink. We didn't do drugs. We all did Sober October, but I didn't speak to him. And at the very end of October, he called and he was like, he was like, I'm, um, I'm really sorry, and I and I don't want this to affect our friendship. And he's like, did it fuck up our friendship? And I had been so used to ex- getting apologies at that point and deciding, I said to him, I said, I'm going to have to f- figure it out yeah, because I got to know if I can forgive you, if I can still love you. Cause yeah. I, I fucking loved, like before that incident, there was no wavering in how much I knew I could trust Ari. Yeah, I told, I, and like, I have a thing, I have a thing about that, uh, sets me off that if, if people think I'm weak um, it's because they mistake kindness for weakness so I'm v- I'm a very kind person yeah and so but some people will capitalize on that kindness and then just call you weak and I've told Joe and Ari and Tom know this very much about who,
2: me who are you hanging out with <laughs> like, like, no 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 I'm this?
1: talking that's 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 a broad oh, just in stroke general that's okay, a broad okay, stroke okay, okay, of okay. mostly of, of like people I don't know people I see. people okay. that maybe a guy that runs a radio station or or like another comic okay. or you know like just any someone in the business an executive or okay. and so um and I all told them that and they knew that they knew that that was one of the things that drove me nuts was when people assume because I'm such a generous guy or I'm such a nice guy yeah. and I that I that I'm weak and I told Ari I was like that fucked with the weak thing because mm. it made me feel like you thought I was weak and he was like oh fuck he was like oh, I wish I could go back and take that back and And I got it up, and Leanne, my wife, did not accept his apology, and she's like, "He's no longer welcome in our house." My daughters did not accept his apology, and they.
2: Well, I could see them also because, like, that's like a fucking women thing too. Like, you don't fuck with people's drinks. Like, you just don't do it.
1: Well, he, my daughters, and it just it fucked everything up. But I was I was able, in my opinion, to forgive him. And to know that I, that his friendship was very valuable to me. Mm-hmm. I, I love confiding in him. I love talking to him about things. I, that never changed. It was just one silly. I could, I could see that that was one silly act that he thought wasn't going to bother me. But like it did. Hmm. And is because he a he, he's a comedian, he's a comedian. He's very, very, very good comedian. And he's, but his he runs in circles where drugging each other is not a big deal. Um, Like a lot of the guys, like has
2: they, he done it before to other people?
1: He's done it. He's done it. He's, yeah, I think so. Yeah. They've all, see, they all used to just, you know, put stuff in each other's drinks and. Okay. It's, it was. So it
2: is kind of the seventies thing. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's just fucking with each other and it's not, it was never frowned upon in that group. But when it happened to me, I, it was just, it was a little, it was different for me. Obviously I was a little more, but, um, but yeah, but forgiveness is a very interesting thing. So there's a couple of people I have not forgiven who've asked for forgiveness and I, and I'm, I thought, no. My buddy Segura, Tom Segura, said to me one time, sometimes if you forgive people, they get back in your life. And do you want them in your life? And I was like, no.
2: Hmm.
1: He's like, then you got to be careful with who you forgive.
2: That's an interesting point. Um, And I'd be curious, like, what, like, for me, the thing that I want to know from someone who I would want to forgive, um, and I do want to forgive people a lot, because I also don't like feeling angry at people, Um, but I want to know that they understand why I'm upset. They want, I want to know that one, they, they appreciate that I am upset and I have a right to be upset and they understand why so that I can feel safe again in their, in their space. So they, they like, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want to have like a re I want to regain trust. And like that trust is having that person acknowledge my feelings and uh, acknowledge what needs to happen from now on so that I can trust you again. Do you feel like the person that you did forgive was appreciably doing that for you that the others were not?
1: Uh, I was, I was very accurate. Well, one person I kind of, one person I kind of wish I had forgived, um, earlier and I still haven't forgiven. Them. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've forgotten them. Hmm. I've just forgotten them. Hmm. Um, they don't occupy space in my head. um, one person I forgave, one person I forgave got sober and reached out to me, and I forgave him, and his apology wasn't even accurate.
2: <laughs> See, that's that's the worst when they're like trying, and you're like, that's not even why I'm mad. But I'm like, such a
1: on. what you would call a vulnerable narcissist or whatever that <laughs> I accepted that his recollection of events everyone's recollection of everything's different. No that's one fair. has, t- and, and, and if, if that's the way he does recall it and he wants to get past us and, and be forgiven, then I just have to accept, accept that that's where he's at. I wish I could tell you all these people's names. It'd make it so much more interesting. interesting. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We talk a lot about BetterHelp on this show. We talk a lot about therapy. And this month, we're going to discuss some of the stigmas around mental health. It's crazy to me that there are any stigmas, and I and I say that so that you should be rest assured that if you're thinking about getting help, you don't have to wait until it's too late. Therapy isn't something people go to when life becomes unbearable. It, therapy is a good tool to utilize before things get worse, and it can help to avoid those lows. Many think therapy is so for so-called crazy people. Uh, how about this? Tom Segura is in therapy, okay? I was going to say I'm in therapy, but I don't think that really (laughs) I am in therapy. Leanne's in therapy. Leanne's not crazy. You know that Leanne's been a big proponent of therapists. Therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you recognize that all humans have emotions and we need to learn to control them and not avoid them. Better help is customized online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, and you don't have to wait in traffic. That's the reason I like this therapy. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy and BurtCast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Burt. That's BetterHelp.com slash Burt. If you own a business, you, you know there aren't enough hours in the day to waste playing phone tag the list of customers you need to reach doesn't get any shorter especially when business is good that's why local businesses everywhere turn to podium podium makes every interaction as easy as sending a text so everything that makes your business great can get done fast i love podium because texting is where everyone's at i'm who the hell has time to write an email or send a fucking phone call? Or or I like to FaceTime, but no one likes to answer FaceTimes. Podium isn't just a better way to communicate. It's a better way to do everything. Gathering reviews, collecting payments, even marketing to your customers. Podium makes it all as easy as pressing send. You won't just free up more time. You're going to grow your business and get more done. With Podium, you'll close deals with customers before competition has even a chance to call them back. Join the more than 100,000 businesses already using Podium to streamline their customer interactions. Get started for free at Podium.com slash or sign up for a paid Podium account and get a free credit card reader. Restrictions apply. That's Podium.com slash Do you forgive the prosecutor or the? Uh, do you forgive the people that did you wrong in Italy? Have you spoken to any of them? Have they, any of them apologized? So no one has apologized.
2: Um, I have been doing, um, I have this sort of ongoing project um, to reach out to my prosecutor and communicate with him. I can't really say much about that, Um, but it is important to me to feel like, I don't even know why it's that important to me. I guess I felt like I was so quickly, judged before anyone ever even knew who I was Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so horribly judged, like just basically people just made up a cartoon villain and then like cast me as that character without me having having ever auditioned for it. And um, I have this sort of like fixation on the idea of proving them wrong Um, and like just, just to see what would happen. Like, I'm genuinely curious to know if, like, if my prosecutor understood who I really am and not the cartoon villain that he created in his mind, like, what would he do? Like, would he, would he, would he change? Would, would something change? Would somebody next time not get hurt? Or, or is everyone going to perpetually just justify themselves into oblivion, no matter who they've hurt and no matter what wrong they've done? Like that's the sort of
1: but there is a this is a bizarre thought, and you do not have to co-sign on this thought at all. Okay. <laughs> but I as you're saying that, I thought they I bet I bet they believe themselves to be right. I bet they believe themselves to be right. How powerful in their eyes, you're a fucking savage murderer. How powerful would it be just to show up at one of their kids' soccer games? Just not.
2: Oh, <laughs> like, no. I I, goes,
1: I, <laughs> is that fucking horrible? And just be like, you're next. Because oh, if they God. believe it.
2: <laughs> well, what's what would be more interesting to me is if someone found themselves in a position to say, oh, that person is not who I thought they were, but I'm still right. That's more interesting to me. Like, How do you do that cognitive dissonance? What, how, how does that cognitive dissonance happen? And I think that that, Honestly, is a more human experience than than people will acknowledge. That like you can even have someone prove you wrong right to your face. Like I am not the person that you thought I was, and they can still justify to themselves that they were right all along. How does that happen? How does that happen?
1: Because I, I have. It's funny. It's hard to change your opinion on a person.
2: Well, especially even more importantly it's hard to change your opinion about yourself. If you're the kind of person who judged someone to be a murderer, what does it mean about yourself if that person turns out that they're not a murderer? Yeah. What does that mean about yourself? So I think the bigger issue is not so much about changing your opinion about other people, it's about changing your opinion about yourself. What kind of person are you if you wrongfully convicted someone? So
1: have you, no one,
2: No one's ever apologized to me. When you,
1: when you, when they say that's it, well, you, you, you did four years and then they sent they kept you guilty, but sent you home for.
2: No. So in Italy, um, they do double jeopardy in a different way. Um, so I was found guilty. I was acquitted. I was sent home. Then I was tried again. I was found guilty and then I was tried again and I was found innocent.
1: So, so you've been innocent twice and guilty twice. Yes. So you found guilty, then acquitted. Yes. How how does that happen? I mean, so
2: like, I um I and at the trial level I was found guilty. At the appeals level I was found I was acquitted, and then I was. But and then,
1: then and then so that that first acquitted was is that four years?
2: That was four years. Yeah. And
1: so that day that you get found acquitted.
2: I was released from prison.
1: That, tell me about that day. Like what <sighs> was, like.
2: Um. So. Uh, no details too small (laughs) okay um so it was december so it was really cold um jackets in prison i mean yes there aren't uniforms you just get what your family gives you you just wear your clothes you you can wear clothes but there are certain things you couldn't wear like i don't think i could wear these jeans oh actually i could wear these jeans because you'll notice that the button here doesn't have a cap over it if you have a cap over it, you can hide drugs in the button, so you can't wear those kinds of jeans. Wow. Um, but I could wear this kind of jeans. Not so you to it's, <laughs>
1: it's a It's a small amount of drugs. So so so. You're, it's cold out. It's, it's December.
2: It's December. It's cold. Do you
1: have any inkling that they're gonna be finding you in? Oh,
2: so oh, actually, I'm sorry. I'm taking you to my convi- um, when I was found guilty. I was acquitted in October. It was still cold, but not as cold.
1: Uh, Two years later? Yes. Two years later. So you were found guilty in December? Yes. That must have been a rough day.
2: That was a very bad day, yes. My entire family um, had showed up in... I have a very close extended family, and all of them came to Italy to basically take me back home. We had all been like in what my mom was calling this... like. Dark tunnel, like trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And we were convinced that it was going to be when the verdict was handed down. Like, none of us were prepared for a guilty verdict. None of us. Like, my dad, like, we were so prepared for them to take me home that my dad brought my two youngest sisters, who are much younger than me, who were like, gosh, you know, like 11 and 13 at the time, and brought them. With the understanding of this was going to be a happy moment, and then it was not, and it was devastating. And, um, it, uh, so like my mom brought me, my mom bought me a special coat that was green for good luck, and like she had the like guards bring it back to me so that I could put on this coat, um, for the verdict, and, um, I remember that the um, every time I went into the courtroom, it was always really loud because there were always journalists who were like yelling and cameras clicking and blah blah blah. And this that time I walked in and it was silent. Um, it was it felt a little bit. Now in retrospect, it felt like I was walking into my own funeral. Um, like everyone was just like it felt like everyone was there to see the axe fall. And, um, and indeed the, when the, finally the judge and jury came back in from chambers, um, I remember I couldn't really understand them, not because I hadn't learned Italian by then, but because I sort of had this like echoing in my ears. I, I it sounded a little bit like, wah, 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 wah. um, but I did make out guilty Um, I did not make out how many years I had been sentenced. I just heard that. And I heard that after someone behind me yelled no. I don't know who it was someone who understood Italian, who understood what the judge was saying, understood that I was being found guilty, and they just hadn't pronounced it yet. Um, They yelled no. I heard colpevole, and then I heard my family crying. And I, I think I actually should ask. Um, there's this really nice young woman who um acted as a translator for my family because like they didn't have a translator. It was Italian courtroom, everyone was speaking Italian. So my family most of the time that they were there didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. But there was a young woman who was around my age who volunteered to to translate for them. And I wonder if she was the one who said no. Um, I should ask her. Um anyway, I, I never, I just know that my family started crying very quickly, which is to say that someone was live translating for them. And, um, I like the feeling of collapse. Um, there it's my, my world collapsed, like everything I thought to be true about the world was gone. I felt like there was no floor. I and was, I was like floating in space, not knowing which way was up. Um, and in fact, like the guards had to like sort of physically carry me out of the, like they held me on both the arms and like carried me out of this room um, because I had just been told that like the truth didn't matter. My innocence didn't matter that I was not just like, someone who was waiting to go home with my family, I was like done. Like this was my life. Like this wasn't just like this weird little interlude. It was my life. And like I, it was over. And um, my, one of my lawyers chased me out of the courtroom and he was like, Amanda, we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. And I was just like, how? Like if the truth doesn't matter, like how do you fix this? So, um, like I, on the one hand, I like, I feel you in the, just being like, whatever, you know, you see it your way. I see it my way. You're sorry for what you think happened. That's fine. And that's good enough. Um, but sometimes it's not good enough. Um, and granted, like I was acquitted. Eventually I got to go home. Eventually I got to start a family. Eventually I got to like have my life back. My life was not over, um, but I don't know if the people who did, who are responsible for it, like, understand what they did. And it would mean a lot to me if they understood. Um, and, and what's crazy is, like, you can do something that horrible and not know that you're doing it. Like, you don't have to mm-hmm. be like, I am ruining the life of an innocent girl right now good for me like you can think you're doing the right thing the entire time and still be doing the wrong thing yeah and so that is like that complicated um cognitive dissonance space that i'm talking about where it's like what must it feel like i almost feel bad for my prosecutor i almost feel like i should just leave him alone because he would feel much better about himself if i just left him alone
1: i couldn't leave him alone alone.
2: (laughs) well and that's kind of my feeling is it's like maybe maybe this is me being unkind by like reaching out to him and being like i think we need to talk because like ultimately i'm actually potentially forcing him to see something about himself that he's not going to like oh
1: it's it's the, um, the kid the guy that um the guy that railroaded the duke rape kids yeah. I, I think about that guy what was his name halston um he was a horrible human being. He was a horrible human being. and and there's, and this must've happened. This must've happened. This is what kills me to with your case is there had to be moments where someone was like, Hey man, just so you know, her DNA is not in there. Yeah. Like there, there, there are certain facts to your case where they had, they had to willfully overlook them.
2: Yeah. That's the hard thing. Um, like and I keep wondering, and there, are different people I've talked to have different ideas about how, like, what the mental process was for them. Like, oh, did they hear no, no DNA linking Amanda to this crime? Did they hear that and go, oh, weird, maybe I'm wrong, or did they think, oh, Amanda must just be a criminal mastermind? She cleaned, cleaned up, up. I remember her hearing DNA. that you yeah. cleaned
1: up all your DNA and left. That's not him. Nifong. Mike oh, Nifong. I think he's dead. From here, the... go- Google Mike Nifong. Uh, this guy was a fucking garbage human being. Is he? He railroaded these guys. I hope he is. <laughs> he railroaded these guys, and and I saw a documentary about it. And that he was like, he was like, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This is gonna get me reelected. I don't give a fuck. It um, ruined their lives. This is gonna get me reelected. He actually said that. Uh, he, I'm, obviously, I'm paraphrasing right. a documentary. I told you I'm not good with facts, but uh. He is alive. Well, he's bankrupt. Sued by the players.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Later developments. It. What did it say, Halston? He he actually willfully said, "I don't care." I. He knew they were innocent. He didn't care. He just this was giving him momentum on a re-election. Correct? Is is that what it is?
2: Yeah. No. That that definitely happens, and I think that that's actually really interesting because it reminds me of like how the journalists treated my case where they were like, Oh, you know, guilty, innocent doesn't really matter. As long as it's a good story, as long as I'm getting paid. And it's like, how do you get, like, how do we all get so stuck in our routine? Like so jaded through our work that we forget that there are human consequences.
1: Uh, That's interesting. You say that. Um, that's very interesting. You say that because it, it happens in every level, I remember I made a very cognizant decision on my podcast, on my mostly on Two Bears, but uh, to ne- never talk negative about anybody, and and I would just talk shit. I would just talk shit, just out of my ass, I, just to fill time. And you'd just be like, like I don't really like I'm fucking
2: like what kind of stuff. But
1: nothing really bad. I I would imagine you'd giggle at it if you heard it. My intent was to make you laugh, obviously. Sure, sure. I don't know. Just like you just get done and you'd be like, did I talk shit about Reese Witherspoon?
2: (laughs) Like, and by the way, I
1: like Reese Witherspoon a lot, but you just like, you just using an example when she got pulled over for a DUI Uh. and she should not have been speaking and they were recording the whole thing. And and I don't know. You just are ranting. You're trying to find a joke. And I, I never really had a line. I never really cared if what what direction the line was on. I just wanted to make sure it was funny. And then I started saying, well, I don't, I don't want to have like God forbid I uh I talked positive about this guy. The guy was telling you to come on my podcast tomorrow.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um the surfer. Yeah. yeah. I
1: talked positive about him and then he reached out and then what's in- very interesting is I started legit saying I I don't want to be negative. I, I- there are negative comics in- in there, and and there but I- that's not who I am. And when I went on Joe's podcast, and this Joe's podcast is a perfect example of me talking shit and not realizing what I'm saying. So I get drunk, I get high, I don't remember any of it. Okay. And then,
2: and you're just riffing, you're like, just, just anything, anything
1: that keeps anything that you can find humor in. And I just made a cognizant choice to not say anything negative. And in, in return, I said positive things about a number of people who each reached out to me, yourself included, and were like, hey, thank you for the kind words. And I was like, That's so much better than getting (laughs) a fucking shirt from Dak Shepard, like fucking going. Did I? What did I say about Dak (laughs) Shepard? Like, I like Dak Shepard, but you know, you get on a roll and you're like, I don't even know what the fuck I said about Dak Shepard. But I, I got a shirt from his podcast, like just in the mail, like almost like a dead horse's head. And I was like, the
2: fuck did I say about Dak Shepard? Well, you know what? That's why Weird Al is such a genius because he's always positive. He's always funny. Yeah, he's a genius.
1: See, this is a perfect time for me not to talk shit.
0: <laughs> I was
1: gonna kind of go genius is a fucking heavy word. Okay,
2: <laughs> well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like Weird Al a lot. I say, like, this. They're like it's, it gets slippery because the, the, I have a joke in my head and I just bite my tongue on the jokes. So I go, it's not worth it. I want. Well, weird, cause it's, I is
2: it because it's easy though? Like maybe that's the trick. Like maybe negative. Well, I, have jokes. Ah! I have another
0: joke.
1: I have
2: another joke my head.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to respond. <laughs> I like Weird Al. I like Weird Al. Okay. I like Weird Al. I like. I've always liked him. I think he is a very innovative, uh, very brilliant dude. Very very brilliant dude. And I have to it's say, always that.
2: positive. Always
1: positive. Always positive. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fucking, is there alcohol in this?
2: <laughs> I think there is, right? I'm going to end up putting this, uh,
1: this unicorn smooge on my face. <laughs> uh, I'm making smash burgers tonight. How did you celebrate birthdays in prison?
2: Didn't.
1: You didn't? Did you tell anyone it was your birthday?
2: Actually, there was um a, a, another American who was um, locked up in there who one time on my birthday, she worked in the kitchens, she was able to make me a chocolate cake. She White actually chick? She was, yeah.
1: What was she What was she in prison for?
2: She had a Italian boyfriend who bought her a whole new brand new set of luggage to go and visit him in Italy, and he had laced her entire luggage with cocaine um, unbeknownst to her, and so she showed up in Italy to meet him and his family. He didn't actually exist, fake name, everything, and she was arrested at the airport.
1: Is she still in prison? No, no,
2: no. She was got five years.
1: Oh wow! Do yeah. you keep in touch with her? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah,
2: I actually saw her Were you yesterday. On, is she on Instagram.
1: She lives in L.A.
2: No, no, no. Um, I was in Seattle yesterday. Yeah. I flew here this morning.
1: Where's University of Oregon? Eugene, right? Uh, yes. Um, wait. So wait, Maybe. is she? Is she pretty?
2: Um, I mean, I've seen pictures of her when she was young. She was she was in her fifties when I met oh. her, and then and now she's in her sixties, and she's a beautiful woman. But yeah. you know, she was gorgeous when she was my age. Really, like redonk, long red hair. Ooh, yeah.
1: So wait, what were the other prisoners like? Wait, and go go back. I want to know about the day you were found innocent. <laughs>
2: okay. Slow roll me on that day. Well, no
1: details too small.
2: Okay, so the like, time I was first that acquitted. First acquitted. First acquitted. So I'm still in jail.
1: Because that, because in my book, in my book, when I look at your trial, and I understand that you're going to see it very differently than I see it. <laughs> but you're found guilty, then you're acquitted, and you're allowed to go home, correct? Yes. And then, and then you get found guilty again. N- not to be disrespectful to how much that must have, but I go, that's just headache stuff and, and fearful stuff. Getting out of that fucking prison for me, yes. No. Getting out of that fucking yes. prison is when I go, like I want to know what that feels like
2: yes so that feeling um is hard to describe do they tell you Uh, (laughs) the beginning of
1: the day the end of the day
2: so it was at, at like nighttime when i was finally called back in they took many many hours to deliberate in chambers um which was interesting because we didn't know what that meant if that was a good sign or a bad sign um, but my lawyers, the longer it took for the chambers to come back and say we were we're ready to give a verdict, the more my attorneys were like, maybe this is going to go well because they're not going to be taking this long to just agree with a guilty verdict. Like maybe they're really really deliberating on this. And what
1: were the facts that they were deliberating on? Were they?
2: So, yeah. So um, in the appeals trial, there were key pieces of forensic evidence that were basically the the basis of the conviction in the first trial that had been reevaluated by independent experts and called deeply into question in fact totally obliterated as evidence and so the court was then left with well if these these pieces of evidence that the prosecution's case rested on if those no longer are there then what is the case against her like is, is there any evidence against her and there wasn't there was so- no evidence against you Exactly. So they deliberated for many, many, many hours and in those hours while they were deliberating I was just in prison and I was waiting and um You knew
1: this was the day?
2: I did not know this was the day. I mean I knew it was the day I was going to get a verdict. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I had been called in for them to say like, "Okay, we've heard final arguments from everybody. We're going into chambers. It's going to be several hours," right? And, and so then, and
1: and so you knew that's the day. Are you are you hopeful? Or are you are you at this point going like I it I I can't get my hopes up.
2: So I was gutted from my first trial when I felt like I had every hope in the world, and it turned out like I didn't know what a a. a innocent verdict would rest on if the truth didn't matter anymore. Right. Right. So I was not there thinking, Oh, everything is going to be turning out all right for me. Mm -hmm. I was preparing myself for, to hear the worst because I had not prepared myself the first time and it had been a very bad experience for me. So I was preparing myself to hear the worst. I went back to the prison. Um, I actually was given like the choice. I can either wait in a prison cell in the courthouse, which was, very cold and like a sort of like dungeony mm. cell that was very small or I could go back to the prison to my room and, and just like hang out and I decided to go back to the prison and there was a priest that worked at the prison I'm I'm an atheist but um there I was friends with the priest who worked at the prison we played music together and he invited me
1: do you think that that's maybe why you got in trouble in the first place you didn't accept Jesus Christ into your heart
2: I mean, didn't help. Didn't help. Um, but yeah, no, we I'm played sorry. music together. <laughs> he was a good friend of mine. Um, and I went to his office and we I stayed very, very long there and we just played music together. And interestingly, um, he was convinced that it was going to turn out okay. Um, he was so convinced that he had brought in against regulation a little voice recorder um, so that he could record me singing because he was like, this is the last time I'm ever going to hear you sing. And, um, we just played music together and, um, I cried a lot and, um, and eventually he, he had to go, he had to go back to his, you know, wherever he lives, his seminary. Um, and I had to go back up to my room and wait the final like hours into the evening. And it was, um, Ten or eleven at night before I was finally called back into court, um, and they brought me into court. Um, it was it was so bizarre because again they they bring you into this like little dungeon cell, and it's it's um it's brick walls, and uh, like a really simple bench, and that's it in the cell. And then there's this like iron grate like you'd see in like a dog kennel. And that was that was where I hung out while I was waiting to go into court. And outside of that was like a sort of seating area for um, the guards. And the guards at the time were all casting bets on what the verdict would be. Um, And by the way,
1: as a storyteller.
2: That's a fucking that's a that's a fucking
1: that's an oak that is a fucking oak that is a fuck see those when I those details that's what I love oh my god
2: yeah Um, so anyway they brought me in eventually like you weren't
1: even there like you were a ghost
2: like I was a ghost or you know like they honestly were nice to me like the guards when I was at court were usually very nice to me I mean one guard at one point um, even came into my cell and taught me how to salsa (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at one point but that was like not that day. That day I was just sort of sitting and subdued, but he came into my cell and was like, "Oh, this is how you salsa." I was like, "Okay." Um they would like bring me little espressos or something like that, well, like from a machine. Anyway, they brought me up there and um and again, like the court comes in, they're very somber. The judge sort of stands up there, he's reading from a piece of paper, and I'm I can hear it this time. I'm not hearing the wah 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 wah. So I'm I'm intently listening to what he's saying. My my lawyer is holding on to my hand and gripping it really, really firmly. He's got like this um sort of warm, meaty hand, and he like takes my hand and like just envelops it. And and then like I hear just so first of all I heard colpevole for slander. I was found guilty for slander, um, which is Again, like the, for signing those statements, so they found me guilty of slander, and he says you are sentenced to three years for um, this guilty of slander thing, and so I'm thinking, oh no, uh, it's, it's happening it's all over board, again. Yeah. It's happening all over again. But then he says acquitted, and
1: what's that in Italian?
2: Um, assolta, assolta, and and then, and then and then and then the even more crazy thing was and imme- to be immediately released. So I'm just like, I start bawling. Like I lose it. I lose it. My family is there. I start bawling and lose it. And my family thinks that it went the wrong way because again, they can't understand Italian. (laughs) So they see me Losing it, but thankfully there's that girl who's translating for them, who's explaining to them. No, it's okay. It's okay. So they're like hugging each other as I'm like i am whisked away very quickly because the all of a sudden that quiet courtroom explodes. Like everyone's talking, like cameras, every like blah. And so we're whisked out of the courtroom. I I remember I was passing by and I was crying. And um, Rafaela's attorney, who is a woman, Rafaela there. Yeah, Rafaela. We were we were always tried at the same time. So Rafael is was Instagram? always there. He is on Instagram. Yeah. Are following him? Yeah, you should. His, yeah. His, uh, Rafa his Yeah, and he's on Twitter too. Is he really? Yeah. Um anyway, so I Sorry, I'm <laughs> the worst interviewer. <laughs> I'm
1: the worst interviewer. There are people in their cars. going, shut the fuck up? Bert.
2: <laughs> um Uh, so, so I'm passing by and she sees me like bawling and she like says, like, she gives me a thumbs up because I think she's concerned that I didn't understand. And we get taken out of the courtroom and then we're brought back to that same room, right? Where there's these two cells, but they don't put us back in the cells they sit us in their room with them with the guards with the guards where they the were guards were me well yeah exactly where they like, were just like hanging half of them out them like, casually we won. and the, the other indeed ones were like, some of them were like we won good job
0: <laughs> and then some were like uh, good luck for you <laughs>
2: no, none of good none of them. day for you well they were all, they all seemed really happy for me um but also they were like very very keen on making sure that i understood what had happened because and it was when they let they allowed rafael and me to hug we were not allowed to like touch each other much less look at each other really? while we were like on trial but as soon as we were acquitted we were allowed to like hug each other is that you that's me yeah okay
1: i didn't follow you now i'm following you and you follow rafaela i'm guessing yes r-a-f so caliti
2: so so let
1: here
2: i can find it for you i got him okay you got him
1: let's see what he looks like oh wow that's not at all what I thought he was going to be. He's very, very much more Caucasian than I thought he'd be.
2: Yeah. He's, um, yeah, he's got me vibes. Like he's got like brown hair and yeah. he's pale. Yeah. You guys could
1: be brother or sister. <laughs> I
2: know. <laughs> Actually, I think we look more like brother and sister than um, anything else.
1: So, uh, so then how quick are you let out of the jail? Like, like what's the, what's the timeline? Are you, are you hitting your parents up going make dinner reservations?
2: More like I'm, so again, uh, the difference, like the shift. So I was brought to that courtroom in a prison van, which is windowless and bars. And I'm brought back in a police car with windows and no bars. And I'm brought back to the prison and I am brought to my cell very quickly to just get my things like I'm out now, like to be immediately released. So I go back to the prison just for enough time to get my stuff. They give me a few extra minutes to run up and down the, the, the cell block to say goodbye to people. But meanwhile, they're like, you have to get out. You're not legally allowed to be here anymore.
1: Because now now if something happens to you, fucking they're yeah. in big trouble.
2: Yeah. So meanwhile, everyone is screaming the entire like i come back to the prison and already everyone has been watching it on tv and everyone is screaming and pounding pots and pans against the bars happy for you yes okay. they're all screaming yeah. liberta liberta
1: oh I'm going to make me cry <laughs> jesus christ and
2: granted like we we this is a tradition that we do for anyone who's getting out like we we say liberta liberta and we bang pots and pans but this was the first time i had heard every single building, every building, like the men's side, the women's side. (laughs)
0: It's such a great moment to have.
2: Yeah. It was, it was really good. And people like, just like, I've never seen, I'll never see them again. Like who I spent years of my life with. I just, I just have to say like, bye now and you know, good luck. And meanwhile, you remember as you're leaving to scrape your foot on the threshold of the, um, of the door so that you, um, uh, symbolically carry the next person out with you. Um. So anyway, we they gave me my um my passport and and um and they had arranged a car for me to drive me out, and then from there, I was driven out into a mad car race with paparazzi ramming our cars from behind um, into the darkness to a safe house in Rome that had been prepared for me, um, with by supporters. So
1: what was the price tag on all this?
2: I, um, I mean, I eventually paid back my parents, what they said it all costs. I doubt that they told me everything. And I also know that a number of people gave their time for free or gave their, whatever they had for free. Like for instance, there was a, um, person who worked for british airways who gave my family all of his miles there was a former fbi agent who coordinated with um you know the local authorities my escape from prison basically like that whole car thing oh. situation was yeah. not unusual what normally happens is they give you a garbage bag to put your stuff in and then you walk out the door and i would have walked out into a throng of paparazzi so instead they organized a car for me that was driven by a professional driver with an FBI like ex-FBI agent in the front seat and we booked it into the night like turned off the lights and we're just driving in pitch darkness and like the Jesus. fields behind like the like, you know like sunflower fields behind the prison to like find our way to Rome while paparazzi are chasing us and it was it was a big deal and this
1: is the same Ra- Raffaele has gotten the same Things happen Honestly,
2: him. I have not asked Raffaele how he him leaving prison was like. Um, because I don't know actually how he got out. Um he and I've seen him multiple times since, which is ridiculous. I can't believe I've never asked him before. Um, I'm sure they probably arranged something else for him, but he didn't he wasn't leaving the country. He was going back home to his family. And that sucked for him because meanwhile, like I get to at least go home to a world, like to a place where there were people at the airport with like, welcome home, Amanda signs, like people I didn't know who cared about me, who showed up just to say like, welcome home. Like the local record store put up on their sign, like welcome home, Amanda, like not, you know, and Nirvana for and, sale.
1: And you come like, to, a, you come to a country where everyone I think is on your team.
2: Yeah. It's, it, I, that's I what say, it oh, felt like yeah. when I came home. Yeah. Raffaele did not go home to that feeling really like granted ever like basically his hometown really rallied behind him but Italy didn't yeah and so he was living as a kind of unwanted individual for those years while we were still on trial and you know potentially we, we were found guilty again and we're potentially going to be going back to prison
1: if you're looking for a present for someone this Christmas or holiday season, it's a no-brainer. Skylight Frames. I'm telling you, this is the perfect gift for anyone you love in your life. If it's, I have told you this a million times, uh, I have no bought no less than 15 Skylight Frames. I buy them for everyone. They are easy to set up. You can set it up in under 60 seconds. It's a beautiful 10-inch screen, um, touch screen it's gorgeous they give you hundred percent satisfaction guaranteed so if you don't love it they're going to give you a full refund but more importantly you send them the frame then you can load it up with photos or you can just get it to them blank and then what you do is you email uh this you email pictures to this one photo place and it goes up on everyone's skylight frame and the reason i did it for all my friends is because i can have pictures of myself at my friend's house it's my favorite thing ever It is like a game changer. How often do you go to your friend's house and you just see pictures of them? Now I see pictures of myself. And you can swipe through. It's great. It's it's a way we all stay connected. Me and my friends, my families, my family, my sisters, everyone. It is a no-brainer. Get a Skylight Frame for someone you love. It is the best gift. Right now, is a special offer. You can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code BERT. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame Just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code BERT. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com. And the promo code is BERT. We have one good sleeping room in our house, and it's because of this Helix mattress. We got a Helix mattress in our guest bedroom, and everyone fights to sleep in there. It was amazing. It was super easy to set up. Came in a box. Cut the box open. I mean, Leanne and the girls put it together and put it on, and it was there. It was ready in minutes. It's awesome. If you're looking for a bed, go to Helix. They have a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the for the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else, right? And who wants to go? It's so much better than going to a mattress store and starting to lay on mattresses. You go like, I think. I don't know. It's a lot of pressure. Everyone's unique, and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, firm uh, mattresses that are meant for cooling. If you sleep hot, I like to sleep hot. And uh, mattress meant for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. They even have a Helix Plus for plus-size sleepers, Tom. Good for you. I took the Helix quiz. We were matched. Uh, Leanne and I took it. We were matched with uh, the the Hot Firm, and it's fucking awesome. I sleep on my side. I move around a lot. Um, but Leanne sleeps different. Uh, so we matched. We we Leanne really took the quiz, to be honest with you. She's the one that's going to be sleeping at the most because I snore. I don't know. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz. You order the mattress that gets matched to you. The mattress comes right to your door for free. If You don't don't even have to go to a mattress store ever again. How great is that? Who wants to drive down the street with a mattress on top of their car? Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. They were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Burt. Take their two-minute quiz, and they're going to match you with a customized mattress and give you the best sleep of your fucking life. I promise you. They have a 10-year warranty also, so if you try it out for 100 nights, you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They're even going to pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Okay? Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows, For our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Burt. That's helixsleep.com slash Burt. Remember, Helix is offering $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows to all our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Burt. How do you get found guilty again?
2: Well, so again, they do double jeopardy differently there. So in Italy, they have three levels of justice. There's the trial level the appellate level and then what their version of the Supreme Court and all trials, like all cases have to go through all three levels before they're considered definitive. And what happened in my case is I was found guilty at the trial level. I was acquitted at the appellate level, but my prosecutor appealed my acquittal, which you are allowed to do in Italy. And my acquittal was overturned by the Supreme Court and sent back for retrial at the appellate level. I was found guilty again, and then the Supreme Court in Italy overturned my conviction and definitively acquitted me.
1: So if you go to Italy, nothing happens to
2: you. Or you spend four years in prison for something you didn't do.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that. <laughs> so. kind, what, kind, what kind of crazy offers have you been give, given? Like, they go, hey, we want you to host a reality show, Oh, because I'm sure you have, have gotten crazy offers
2: well i had the um the frankly quite insulting offer of 20 grand to do a porno 20 grand come on
1: hey <laughs> you gotta shoot your shot right
2: <laughs> um so someone offered me that so what, what is the so price
1: point <laughs> <laughs> what's my price point what yeah what is price your price, price point? point let's start Let's working backwards i would to do a porn See, I think I could probably still keep working if I did a porn.
2: See, that's that's the difference between you and me. People would just see me doing a porn and be like, oh, that means that she's guilty of murder. Like that's what's stupid too, because like I have friends who are in the sex business and like I think it's a perfectly fine business to be mm-hmm. in. Um, I just am not allowed to be in it. I
1: don't. I don't blame you. My daughters aren't allowed to be in it either. Just for the record. Okay. <laughs> um, but what? What else? Like, do you ever get offered to host a reality show or Dancing with the Stars? Or
2: I have been um, asked to do Dancing with the Stars, um, which is funny because I do actually like to dance and I'm actually pretty good at it. I'm, I'm not good at all kinds of dancing, but I do. Um, swing dance me and my husband swing dance together um and we love it so i love to dance i love ballroom dancing i can't like moonwalk or anything
0: yeah. oh, no, i shouldn't
2: <laughs> i can moon hand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but um no but i didn't do that because again like my sort of problem is that before anyone knew that i was a real person they knew me to be a tabloid person They knew me to be a person that you don't take seriously, that you ridicule, that you use as a derogatory term. And I've been digging myself out of that grave for my entire adult life.
1: And it would it would it would seem weird for you to be on Dancing with the Stars. And just from my perspective, I'd be like,
2: I'm not a celebrity.
1: Well, it's it was. But you are. But But I'm
2: I'm I'm notorious like people. I have infamy. But I'm not a celebrity. What I am known for is not something that I'm celebrated for,
1: right? And it's it's a weird thing because your your point in promo- being on podcasts or promoting yourself is to simply reclaim your name back.
2: Yeah, and to show that I'm actually putting out good work into the world.
1: Yeah, your podcast is fantastic. Thank you. Uh, don't really tell, hard the name. On don't it. tell me the name. Don't tell me the name. I just I just subscribed today. Not limitations not hibernations, <laughs> not uh, salutations. <laughs> God damn it. What is what is the name of your
2: podcast? Labyrinths. Labyrinths.
1: Yeah, Labyrinths.
2: <laughs> Think David Bowie. And you well, it's, well,
1: it's funny. I listened to you on Rogan. I had notes. I listened to you on Rogan, and I was like, I could listen to her talk for fucking hours. You're, oh. you're very, very well-spoken, meaning you put intent behind every word you say to come across and show a point. I don't always do that. And it's and it's it makes listening to you very easy because hmm. there's not a lot of bullshit in between.
2: I don't want to waste your time.
1: Yeah. And you're very direct. Um, you're also very intelligent. You seem to have an angle on just about everything Joe would bring up. You had an you would you you could go back and forth with him on, you know, fucking universal income versus welfare versus Andrew Yang ver- mm-hmm. like oh, just and then And, and- also
2: to to make it clear, like, also, I don't know is a very legitimate stand to take. I think few, like there is this sort of feeling that like saying, I don't know, or I don't know enough about this is yeah. not good enough. Like you don't actually have to have an opinion on everything. I just happen to have an opinion on those things.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Well, but, I but, and then I was like, and then you were like, yeah, well, my podcast isn't, it, it's not necessarily like this. It's more scripted. And immediately I was like, that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear, <laughs> I want her, hear her hang. And then I listened to it today and I was like I was like oh this is a pretty good podcast. Thank you. It's, it's like an NPR podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah. It has
1: a point, it has an angle.
2: It's um, not like wandering, which is maybe the difference. That's what I do. Right.
1: I, mine's wandering in circles sometimes. I think people could argue that sometimes they hear the same stories over and over. Oh,
0: <laughs> oh no. This is clearly <laughs> this is, a sore point. <laughs> no, I no I
1: I am I, when I was first started this podcast I was very i was i would listen to what people said Hmm. and then and some of the notes were like hey man you're clearing your teeth a lot like i go
2: that's actually a legit that's a legit response
1: yeah and i went okay because that
2: kind of auditory stimulation can drive people nuts
1: yep and so i was like all right i'll stop doing that and then they're like hey man the big one the big one was you're not letting anyone talk
0: Mm.
1: You're interviewing people but you're not listening to them and you're talking over them and when they start a story you interrupt them to tell them <laughs> and like what's that instagram handle? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I I have tried my best to 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 eliminate that but part of that is the what I feel like the people that listen I think they know it, me so well now that they go, oh, of course he's going to tell her about the machine.
2: Well, isn't there also a sort of comedian, like improv part, like the yes. And that you're doing, like you hear something somebody says and you're like, oh, I can add to that. Like it's, there's it that kind impulse. Of,
1: yeah. But I don't know what I can add to your story. <laughs> Technically. I don't know what,
2: I don't know. You almost got arrested because you robbed a train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Impressive.
1: It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But I, but I, I, I've, I feel like a podcast. It should be whatever you want it to be. My my wife, when she started hers, she was like very in, very like, I want to get female, um, females that are married to comedians, wives of comedians. I want to bring them on. I want to talk to them. And I was like, I wouldn't corner yourself into one thing.
2: That is very specific. Yes. Yeah, and,
1: and or or a pot the uh, good friend of mine, Duncan Trussell's good friend of Joe's as well, um, said to me one time. About Letterman, I idolize David Letterman. I, he's the greatest that ever did that genre, in my opinion. And and uh, and I've done a bunch. I did a lot of bunch of late night shows, so I know. I'm, I just think he's the greatest. But he said, "Isn't it crazy that David Letterman never got to change? Like he started with one format, and then he had to do that same format for 20 years." He goes, "A podcast can be whatever you want it to be." Yeah. And I remember in that podcast with Duncan, I had a panic attack, and I said, um, "I think I'm having a panic attack." And he said, let's do a guided meditation. And he did a 15-minute guided meditation. That's lovely. On my podcast. And he goes, you couldn't do this on Letterman. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I I started listening to your podcast. And I went, oh, okay, I like this. I was like, I like this. And they're not, it's just a little more thoughtful.
2: Yes. And uh, the, the point that I wanted to make with the podcast is that we all have felt lost at a certain point. And one of the challenges when you have, felt lost is telling that story to yourself about what happened. Like the processing of this thing that felt so overwhelming and that you had no control over mm-hmm. is is a challenge, not just to get through, but also on the other end of it to process. Like what is the story that you then tell to yourself about that experience so that you can it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming to you, like especially trauma-based ones. Like everyone has a different time that they felt lost and sometimes they're fun and sometimes it's traumatic. And especially with the traumatic ones, I feel like this you you lose your sense of self in the, in the process and to restore your sense of self, you need to find your voice, your perspective about what happened. And so I try to, like that's been sort of my ongoing struggle and it's something that I feel like maybe I'm well-equipped at, to do and other people are less well equipped to do or i i just i guess a lot of people reach out to me and say i am going through some shit right now and i don't know how to feel about it and what to do about it and i feel trapped by it and it's like well you you can also have this sort of meta perspective of your own experience where you are looking down at the maze that you're stuck in and you can tell yourself a story about your own journey and that is how you get out so if I can help people find their voice and find their perspective about their experience by drawing upon my own sort of intuitive understanding based upon my experience, then that's a good thing. And it's also a worthwhile podcast to listen to.
1: Yeah. I had, I, I came out of, we were talking about that travel channel show I did, and I came out of it with pretty intense PTSD mm. because I was doing events that were overwhelming for me. Yeah. Jumping out of planes and Swimming oh, with gosh. sharks and, and fucking just everything. Jumping off You cliffs. know, just
2: clock in, clock out sharks. I
1: had a day in Africa where I jumped off a stadium. I swam with Great White Sharks. And I rappelled off Table Mountain all within a day, I think.
2: You know what's, like, fucked up about that, though? What? Like, doing that over and over again one might call those peak experiences, right? Peak experiences are not supposed to happen over and over and over again. Like peak experiences are peak because they are like a moment in your life that maybe you only have one peak experience of your life that you then sort of like have your whole sort of microcosm of your world. Like this is you and your experience and this is like a definitive moment for you and (laughs) it defines who you are. And if you are having peak experiences over and over and over again, what is your brain doing? Like, I am not surprised that you have PTSD because you have no time to process peak experiences, which are peak for a reason. They're like, they're tapping into your most base survival instincts. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, you know, another day at the office. Like what?
1: Yeah. I would have three a day. You're not do, supposed to do that. <laughs> I would, we would do three a day and I would, I'd have them um, and there would be two, it would be for two weeks and then I'd be off for a week. And then we go back for two weeks. I did that for four years. And I, and then and i just i i had a really hard time processing things mm-hmm. and everything my leanne would be the better one to tell you this but everything was at a level 10 mm-hmm. everything was at a level 10 i couldn't and i and i needed all my experiences to be at a level 10 mm-hmm. i still have a problem with that a little bit right now i'm i'm uh right now i'm going through that uh i did i had a really 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 intense uh th- four week run on the road and i lived in a tour bus but it was like i mean just you know i just started doing arenas and uh and so i didn't realize i was doing arenas like i knew my buddy was doing arenas he was telling me i'm going out i'm doing arenas now i was like fucking badass i go out that's got to be awesome and then i got to green bay and i was like oh wait this is an arena And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're doing a bunch of arenas now. And I was like, oh, I didn't know I was doing, I really didn't know I was doing arenas. I don't really pay much attention to the size of the venue. I just look at, I look at the numbers and then I go, what needs to be sold? And I'll focus on that. And I, but I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I was, and then I, I did the first arena and like it was just, it was, Oh, an overwhelming experience. And then yeah. Then I went to Florida State. I had, I mean, I went to fl- school at Florida State. Uh, right, right when I left, I was written up in Rolling Stone magazine. as the number one party in the country. And uh, and I wasn't really, I wasn't ceremonial. Like, they didn't celebrate my leaving. The The school kind of hated me. And they just oh. wanted me to get out. Oh. And so it kind of stunk. My leaving kind of stunk. And I felt like I didn't have a connection with the school anymore. Yeah. Um. Although I had the greatest time you could ever have in college, I felt like, I felt like I... I, it was soured by some teachers failed me in some classes because they felt like i had sullied the name of the school and they weren't
2: did you do the work
1: yeah i did the work and then i went in and i was like i was like well can i make up the work and this guy's like you can go fuck yourself how you like that
2: whoa the teacher and i was like
1: i was like excuse me i was like he's got to be joking can't right? get away with that anymore oh no <laughs> He was like, like, I'll tell you what, man. I spent my entire time getting my doctorate at this school, and you've just trashed the name of the school. He's like, I my girl is.
2: Why did you singularly trash the name of the school? You're a student. It was a pretty,
1: whatever, who knows. It was a pretty big article. It was before fame was like a thing.
2: Hmm. You know,
1: it was like 1997. So like no, no one was famous. Like now it's I feel like everyone's famous, but like it was a big deal. And this guy literally told me to go fuck myself and then I'm sorry and told me no 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 I think you had dealt with worse stuff and so
2: well yeah I can also be sorry yeah you me. can also be
1: sorry I can accept that apology thank you <laughs> so, no I can feel that I can feel that genuine yeah. uh and so I didn't have a connection I, I felt I, I was sour when I left
2: also like I don't That it bugs me out like he was still a professor who had a duty to you as a student I would
1: like to get his name but you know what I don't need to I would like to get his name, but I don't need to.
2: He also had like a really weird version of you in his head.
1: He didn't like me at all. He spent one class reading my article out loud in the class.
0: Whoa. He
1: sat everyone down and he he read the article and he picked apart the article and he deconstructed the article to my whole class. it It was a journal. It was a writing class. So I guess he felt, but he. That's he,
2: weirdly aggressive to do. to It's a very student.
1: aggressive, and he kind of humiliated me throughout that entire class. And i I was unaware, I was unaware that that would be something someone would do. So I kind of was like a good sport about it. Okay. And I figured if I threw a temper tantrum, I'm not going to look good in that. That sure. So I just kind of rolled with it, and I was like, Yeah. I was like, Yeah, you know, party, you know, whatever. Yeah. I just kind of maybe played into the character. So then when he failed me I was very shocked that I was like I was a good guy Yeah, I thought I we were
2: sh-. on the same page we're I thought all like, shit all like over I me. humiliated I got humiliated we're on yeah we're cool
1: and no. uh and then I left and, and then but then in coming back and I, I performed at Florida State I performed I performed in the same place I swung to play like I performed at the Civic Center in cool. as an arena and it was I mean like that whole day was just processing emotion because like I went on I went on campus and people were coming up to me and they were like, uh, "Welcome back, Birdie Boy," and I was just like, I mean, sobbing, crying, Aww. walking around campus, and people, and I posted something on Instagram, so everyone knew I was on campus. Yeah. So kids were coming out of their dorm rooms and trying to find me, and it was like the greatest. And then it ended with me. They gave me the spear that Chief Osceola throws into the center of the thing, and then I. It was the fucking greatest day of my life. It was the greatest fucking day of my life. You pull, pull it. Let me just let me just show a man the greatest day of my life. Your acquittal from prison might have been pretty good, but. <laughs>
2: no but that's <laughs> no, that joking, actually I'm is joking. great because it it seems like they didn't like they saw you as a the person they saw me as the person recognized. i wanted
1: yeah. i wanted them to see me as they were yeah. proud of me yeah the whole school was proud of me yeah and i it was like such and they accepted a great... you
2: for who you were so it sounds to me like your teacher was just completely missed the point of who you are and what you were hoping what your dreams were oh he didn't to be. give he didn't give a
1: shit about any part of me and i think it's it, it what, what i'm I was curious in the middle of telling you this. I was like, why am I telling her this? And I think I realized it, it, it's that same feeling you must have about those prosecutors and the people that did you wrong where you go, I'm not who you thought I was. Mm-hmm. You're and projecting you, on me. And I me. need you to know who I am. Yeah. And that was, when I left Florida State, I was like, I'm not an idiot who had bad intentions for this college. Yeah. Like, I was a good, I'm a good person. Yeah. And, uh, and when I came back, they treated me like, they treated me like, fucking florida state treated me like goddamn gold i've never i will always have a place in my heart for that school for as long as i live just because of how they were just so kind to me mm-hmm. every, every all the students all the t- everyone that saw me it was fucking really fucking magical
2: and they accepted you for who you were
1: yeah so maybe if you can perform an arena in italy
2: okay <laughs> on it that's what's been holding me when back. do you think
1: you'll? when do you think you'll go back to italy
2: So I have been back to Italy already once. Really? Um, I did. uh, I actually gave a talk there. um,
1: How famous are you in Italy?
2: Well, how famous is O.J. Simpson here in the US?
1: Oh, wow. That's pretty crazy.
2: That's what they call me over there. They
1: call you Juice.
2: They they don't call me Juice, but they (laughs) they basically are like, you're the O.J. Simpson of Italy.
1: You should do a rental car commercial
2: Oh, God, where I'm running. In
1: Italy. In <laughs> Italy. And be like. Kurtz.
2: <laughs> no, thank you. No, um, I actually went. Um, the Italy Innocence Project, which did not exist while I was um, still in prison, invited me to go and speak there for them to speak about trial by media. Um, and so I went. I kind of did what you're talking about. It wasn't an arena, but it was an auditorium and it was full of Italian people. Um, and How was your reception? Well, I was terrified going into it. I did not know. I like did not know if people were going to be throwing shit at me. Like I had no idea. But, um, I went up there. I did my thing. I told my bit. Um, and standing applause the entire the entire auditorium. Um, I was. I I, I had special protection while I was there because they you know they're paparazzi crazy. And also like I had received death threats. So it was like a whole big thing. I had um, a personal guard sort of like take me off stage and down into the basement of this like big building where I was basically hiding out the entire time this conference was happening. And when I got down to the bottom um, he, like I, I feel like I was like sort of deer in headlights from like the people standing up and applauding and I was whisked away. And then as soon as we got down to the bottom of the stairs in the basement, he gave me like a little squeeze and just said, perfecto. And I just started bawling. I was just, I lost my mind because I was like, I didn't know if people would listen to me. Yeah. And a lot of people after that reached out to me and said, I'm sorry. So oh, not my oh. prosecutor and not the police, but yeah. those people said they were sorry. And I really appreciated that. So I kind of did that. What I haven't done yet it's a stand-up comedy special.
1: Is that by the way? <laughs> I can I can I can definitely help you. I mean I I can definitely help you with your story. When I was twenty two years old, I got accused of murder in Italy. Here's how it happened.
0: Uh-huh. That's, that's how
1: my story starts. When I was twenty two yeah. years old I got involved with the Russian mafia, here's how it happened. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did uh did I'm curious how you met your husband and did he Because he's here, he's a producer, Chris Robinson.
2: Yes. Yeah. God damn it. I'm good.
0: I'm
1: good. <laughs> awesome. What are the odds you thought I could pull that out of my house? <laughs> Not at all. Um, I thought I knew it because I was like, there's a, and that your name stuck because I, Chris, the other Chris Robinson's Black Crows. Yeah. So I was like, I was like,
2: hi, uh, you've been getting Google alerts that tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but uh, t- I'm curious h- to how you met him and did he know about your story beforehand and how, because w- I, When I met my wife, she didn't know that I was written up in Rolling Stone magazine. And one day we were in bed and she was like, hey, someone said you're like some party animal. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) It had been so long since that article came out. And I was like, no, it was like five years. And I was like, oh, there's probably something I should let you read. And I gave her the article and we were in bed together. and She was like, oh, my God. (laughs) This article is like, I took a shit on a pizza box to win an election. It just doesn't, doesn't paint me as like, you could read it, but it's not who I am, but it is. Definitely who I am. And okay. so And so she was like, oh. I was like, does this change anything? She was like, no, nah, I don't think so. She was like, I, I pretty much know who you are.
2: Yeah, I met. I already know you. Yeah, yeah. but did,
1: how did that happen with you and your husband?
2: Um, So I was writing for a local newspaper Um, doing like, um, at first I was writing under a pseudonym and I was doing arts correspondence. So I was like going to plays. <laughs> what was your pseudonym? It was Emil Monte.
1: Emil Monte.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Emil is the name of my, yeah, Emil's the name of a character in a book that my grandma liked as a kid. And, um, Monte was like a, a can of Del Monte peas that were on the counter at the time that I was trying to come up with a name. Um, anyway, so I was writing under pseudonym, but I had actually just started writing under my actual name right before I got an assignment to read and review a novel by a local, like a debut novel by a local artist, which was him. I didn't know who he was. I had no idea. I was just given a copy of his book and asked to review it for the paper.
0: And the
1: name of this book is?
2: War of the Encyclopedists. And it's about? It's um, about two best friends, um, one of whom gets deployed in I- Afghanistan or Iraq, Iraq. And the other is deployed to uh, poetry school. And um, they stay in touch by writing this Wikipedia page to each other about each other. Meanwhile they have um weird thruple quadruple situations hilarity ensues. Yeah. The opening scene is um them going to like an arts costume party where one of them is dressed as um he's on a date with someone who's dressed as sexy Osama bin Laden. Um anyway, it's it's, yeah. it's a funny book. It's it's funny and it's moving. Like it has a really cool there's a artist person who has like an abortion um and her like depicting like she there's this drawing that she does as she sort of feels this like thing inside of her unraveling um anyway it's a it's yeah. a good book um i wrote a rave review about it really? and i like to say that i wasn't sleeping with him until after i read his book <laughs> so um but yeah i didn't know who he was i wasn't ever planning on meeting him i just wrote and reviewed a book uh, reviewed his book and then then Day after I under the name Amanda Knox. Yes. Under the name Amanda Knox was like one of the first articles that I was writing under my actual name. And I reviewed it, submitted it. And the day after I submitted it, I walked out of my apartment building and I noticed that there was a flyer up in like the diner window across the street. And it was for a book reading of his book. And I was like, oh, shit, I never go out. I never go see anybody. I never do anything. Maybe I should just go to my local bookstore and check out this book reading for this book that I just read. Sounds kind of fun. I'm just gonna like duck in and try to be invisible. And of course it was um I I ducked in and I was not invisible. Um, but I got to see him do his reading and afterwards I asked him for an interview. Um, and it was him and his best friend. They wrote a book together. I thought that was really interesting. So I um I went and hung out with them. We drank scotch, watched Star Trek, chatted. Um, And at the end of the interview, he just shook my hand and said, we should be friends. And I was like, oh, I can make friends with people. Like this was very shortly after I was fully exonerated and I was no longer being hunted down by the Italian justice system. And I was like, huh.
1: I can grow roots.
2: I can like be friends with people like a normal person. Wow. So he was one of the first friends that I made since being fully exonerated and we didn't start dating until like nine months later but that was great because he didn't know much about my case he actually he had he had heard about it like he knew that it was a case um, but he thought it had something to do with defenestration like someone being pushed out of a window he had no idea that it was you know what it was I heard the
1: same story but yeah, the hook was on his hand, foot you ever, I've I've that's a joke I've been saying my entire life is It's it's from Meatballs. I don't know. Meatballs is is a Bill Murray movie and he tells the story about the guy and and the whole time he's got a hook in his shirt and he just comes out and he goes he goes, and then he had a hook and they go, Whoa. And they all start walking away and I think spaz. One of the guys goes, I heard the same story, but the hook was on his foot. so it's, so it's like, him, it's, it's a reference of him going, Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard your story. The guy they threw some people out a window. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. He looks a lot like my one of my best friends. Yeah. Yeah. Miles Mosley. Yeah.
2: Is that a comedian?
1: No, no. It's guy guy that's just one of the best dudes in the world. Kristen so stand up. What?
0: No way. I've got some open mics. Mm-hmm. I've never really seriously
1: pursued it. Well, you're in Seattle. Seattle's got a great scene.
2: Yeah, we've yeah. had a good time. Yeah. yeah. I like Sam tell jokes. So
1: then so then, was there a breakdown night where you're like, all right, we should go to dinner. We should probably talk about this whole thing.
2: Honestly, no. Um, he started dating me before he even read my book. Um, I mean, was that like, did people know about you? By the
1: way, you have the best goddamn baby in the world. <laughs> this yeah, is she's fucking so This baby chill. is like silent.
2: This <laughs> was
1: not Georgia, and this was not Iowa.
2: <laughs> she's the best, actually. She's <laughs> she we've already be. taken her on one trip, and she like did not ever fuss at all. She's the best. The main
0: thing is I didn't. Google
2: her. Yeah, you he did. Yes. Yeah. So the the really important thing that Chris did when he met me is he didn't Google me. He just wanted to meet me and be around me did as you have, did you,
1: were your buddies like, bro, you know who she is, right? And yeah. you're just like. Hang on, I like her.
0: Yeah,
2: exactly. Everyone's always like, what do you think?
0: Did Did she? she? she?" That's always the first question. And I was like, fuck that question.
2: I don't want to look at her through that lens of this whole bullshit. Yeah. So he didn't, and then eventually the tabloids found out about him and started calling him my boy toy and, like, horrible stuff. People photoshopped knives into pictures of him and, like, people made comments about how he must be a freak who's in love with like a psychopath or whatever. And he eventually read my book. Um, I think he read it. It was shortly before the Netflix documentary came out Um, because the Netflix documentary is coming out and it was going to be bringing that whole experience up in my life again. Um, So he wanted to be knowledgeable of it. And then he's had like this whole journey of like, accepting, not accepting the fact that like people irrationally hate me. Um, he struggles with it way more than I do at this point. Um, I think because, and he's really like one of the main reasons why I'm even sitting here in front of you today, because when he met me, I was in hiding. I was not, I was not, I was not in the world. And, um, he was one of the, people who sort of convinced me that I not only deserved to be in the world like a normal person, but like the world didn't even deserve me is basically his perspective. So like, um, Chris
1: Robinson so, hitting dingers over here. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, he's, he's, Does
1: he say stuff like you're sitting on the couch. He said, like, come on, don't stay on the couch. It's like being in prison. Let's go do stuff. And you go, "Oh."
2: he's us constantly saying things to me. Like, I wish that you, Believed in yourself, and you didn't let all of the horrible stuff that happened to you, like, like bring you down. And like, you, you deserve so much better. And
0: um... And I wish she was as proud of herself as I am of her. She's not, you know. She, she doesn't have it. She doesn't love herself as much as
2: I love her. Right? She doesn't see. She's not inspired by her, (laughs) which is like probably a good thing. But
1: yeah, yeah. I love myself way more than my wife would ever love me. i love myself so much you have no idea i'm fucking this is just you know a room what? celebrating pretty me great.
2: who is your artist by the way i Brett love brock it's so good like, yeah Brett he's brock. so good at being like the expressions are fabulous i want to like see if he'll do us a, a family portrait for us uh,
1: <laughs> yes i can make that happen i'm gonna text him right now he uh he probably doesn't know this is my phone number I'd call him. Hey, it's Bert new phone <laughs> period. can you do a family <laughs> portrait for Amanda Knox and draw it? He's gonna get he's gonna fucking love this. He's a really talented guy and he was he was a fucking home run for me this is this this wall m- m- reminds me of when I f- took control of my career.
2: I mean, it's gorgeous. I and love
1: his, there, some of these drawings, I, so
2: I absolutely can love. Can I ask, like, how the vision for these drawings happened? Like, did you yeah. have a vision and then he, like, brought it to life? Or did he, like, just say, I have a vision. You're going to be in a school uniform wearing roller skates. So I'll show and you. And you're going to love it.
1: So um, he would go, I wish I could get more of them. because yeah, You could see exactly. Yeah. Um, So okay, you ready? Yes. So where's my Philly one? See this one right here? Yes. So this is a story I told. Um, this is a story I told about um, Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson uh, is a professional basketball player yep. who hazed me when I was a child. Um, yeah. I I wonder how much trauma I fucking have pent up. Anyway. I
2: mean, <laughs> you keep saying things that. And so I said. Like I said people are mean to you. I wrote
1: to him. <laughs> um oh shit i just oh
2: wow cool he's
1: great but i said to him hey uh can you send me i want to do one for i want to do one for philly so he sends me like these rough sketches oh yeah and then and then i go yeah but i want it to kind of look like this okay look like this so then he mashes them up, and he has me standing like that, and that then is has dope. Rob behind me. So it was, it was really fun. It was a lot of fun. So like, I text him and I go, "Hey, Sober October was the, that's my favorite poster right there." And I said, um, "Hey, was our first Sober October? Can you make me and Tom look like the Blues Brothers?" And he was like, "Well, shouldn't I put Ari and Joe in it?" And I was like, "Oh yeah," I was like, "Yeah, put Ari as as uh, as." What's her name? Margot, whoever the fuck was the female in that? Right, I think right. It was, it was Princess Leia. Yeah,
2: um, I don't know famous I, people's I, names. So I'm, I'm,
1: sorry. I'm just in a movie with Mark Hamill. I should know her name. Um, Carrie, Carrie Fisher. Fisher. And he's like, and I'll make Joe as James Brown. And I was like, oh great. Or we do the facts of life, or I'd, I'd, or I'd say like, hey man, I'm gonna be in um Hawaii. Can you have me riding? Get, just put me riding a shark or something. Okay. And, and this one, this is our family portrait. Aww. This is my favorite that's me priscilla and Georgia, and isla and i was like but it was really fun it was really really fun because i was just claiming my career like i was just taking control of it where i was like if i promote a little bit then i can then i won't come home from a city and people go when are you going to be in chicago if i just a little bit of extra work and i'll put it on instagram i'll i'll get the thing i'll say this is a poster for chicago um i'll be selling these at the show and uh it was great now now I'm, things are a little past this for me and that i have now have one tour poster probably is over there somewhere i have one tour poster for the whole tour and okay and uh but these this was a really fun period of my life so i, I do put, they
2: all reference jokes that you've made uh
1: some this is tampa i just wanted to look like bruce the buccaneer okay um uh some there was a period of time where me and this guy Tom Segura were fat shaming each other. Okay. So anytime I could put uh, Tom in a video and make him look fat, or like I was going to Cleveland and I had uh, their quarterback from the time was was partying, and I had a picture of me out partying him, Johnny Manziel. And uh,
2: you have this. What's up with the like red speedo? Does this really exist? I wear exist? speedos
1: a lot. I, I wear speedos okay. a lot. I see. I have a problem with clothes. I think it's because I grew up in Florida. Um, Fair. But I and I I grew up in wearing just speedos up until I was like, man, fucking like a little too. I grew up old. in
2: Seattle. We have a Birkenstocks problem.
1: Uh, I was a big <laughs> Birkenstocks. I'm a big flip flop guy. <laughs> like, I got my own line of flip flops. Yeah, they're really fucking comfortable. And uh, but uh,
2: do you have like a callus between your two front
1: no. toes? I'm sure I do somewhat, but not not, not that i would yeah. notice. Did you get any scars while you were in prison?
2: Scars. Well, um, I have, let's see. I wasn't, so I never got like beaten up in prison.
1: Just like little scars. Like just cut your foot and you're like, oh shit. Like I have a scar on my foot right here that I I remember where I was when I got, every time I see that scar, mm-hmm. I remember that night. Mm-hmm. My buddy's Croy's house and, my, and his mom was trying to get it to stop bleeding. But I'd been drinking all day and we couldn't get it to stop bleeding. And then I went into the doctor the next day and I, it was the first time I was told I had high blood pressure. And I was like, oh, "That's impossible." I don't have high blood pressure, but mm-hmm. I, every time I see that scar, I think about that. Any scar, like now, I have a big scar on my elbow, and I because mm. I had surgery.
2: Do uh, emotional scars count? Mm. There, th- they yeah. are just certain things that I'll never forget.
1: Like, w- what's something you run into? And I'll wrap this up. I, your baby's been too perfect. Like, <laughs> I, 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 um, what's something that that creeps up on you? Um, like, where you? Like a smell or something where it just takes mm. you back to that.
2: Actually, there's a I have a good story about this. Um so I didn't spend that much time in Italy, um, not in prison. Spent the yeah. vast majority of my time in Italy in prison. Very and, few people
1: do that. Keep going.
2: Yes. Um, I don't recommend it. Um, it was, so I basically became fluent in Italian in prison. I was not fluent in Italian before. So there are certain things that I learned in prison. Yes.
1: Please. So is that like, if an Italian person came to America and learned English in prison, he'd be like, so yo, what's up, motherfucker?
2: Yeah. For yeah. real? Yes, absolutely. Ah! So there <laughs> there were certain there. terms that I thought were just the normal terms that oh. the priest had to continually um tell me were not the correct terms um like I kept referring like um so uh sedia is is with the word for chair it's um very similar to the word sedere um, which means to sit or like your sedere is your butt yeah um but i only ever learned the term culo which is like the the ass and i was just like throwing out like oh let me just sit my ass over here (laughs) like my priest was just like what are you saying like you're a good little girl like why are you using these terms anyway so but the better one was when I finally got out of prison, I went, um, I was invited of all things to, um, the Seattle international film festival, mm-hmm. um, by like a local person. And, um, they were showing an Italian film that was with, um, Napolitano dialect. Um, and I had only, only ever heard Napoletano dialect in prison. So immediately going into this film, I was like, Oh, this will be interesting. I'll just watch this Italian film, see how it goes. And it, the, the di- the way that people were speaking to each other immediately brought me back into prison. And I had, there was one moment where someone went up to a window and called out a faceti, which in Italian it means that it, we don't really have a word for this in English, but it's bring your face to it. So like come to the window basically. And I had only ever heard that term in reference to the prison bars, people telling me, come to the prison bars, I have to talk to you. Like you're in your cell, the guards are outside of the cell. They're like, oi, a faceti. And so that, I did not have a good relationship with the bars of my cell. Like I I almost always refused to ever even look at them because they made me feel claustrophobic. And so I did not like the, the experience of like having to come up to them and like look through the little slit and like it just bothered me. And so as soon as I heard the person in this film say "Oh, facchiti," I um I started hyperventilating and I had a panic whoa, attack and whoa. I had to leave the movie theater. Um because I was just not I was not ready for that. Um so that's one of those things. Jesus.
1: Good god. That uh yeah, that when things cre- when you I always say the thing that makes me cry isn't the thing you think it'll be. Mm. It's like uh I was t- I'm trying to think of a right way to say this on stage, but when we put our dog Priscilla down, I'm, I'm telling this mm. bit on stage. It wasn't. It wasn't until like she shit on the couch, and the guy was like, "Oh, your dog shit on the couch," and I went to defend her, and I was like, mm. "It's okay, baby." Yeah. And that's the thing when I re- when I said it's okay, baby, and I realized, oh, she's not here anymore. Oh. Like, oh, fucking broke me. And then so like all those 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 weird side things that fucking flip you out, where you're like, I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. Um but uh but i i feel like i've covered everything correct is there anything i, mean, I haven't was there any i mean
2: <laughs> there are whole worlds inside this person well but. <laughs> i'll tell you what i i i i, I had a, I,
1: from I, I followed you from when this case started not started started but at, when it was in the news um i remember first learning about you and i followed it well enough to be one of the right when the doc the netflix documentary came out i watched that and to see you on rogan you were great on rogan i didn't see you on whitney but when i saw you on whitney i went oh i remember being so happy for you because i was like oh this is she's getting out there like she's yeah. reclaiming her life she is not going to just disappear and i think I, I think i followed i heard you talk at times about what your life was like back in seattle and when I saw you on Rogan, I just absolutely fucking fell in love with you. I was like, "She is so fucking." She's you were so good on that. I think we oh. I said that to Joe. Yeah, you I, were fantastic yeah. on that podcast. You're very, you're just a great speaker, and oh. and uh, and I'm uh I feel very privileged to have had you on my podcast. So thank you very much.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah
1: I appreciate it. Oh, it's been really nice to you. And I'll, I'll, thank uh, you,
2: uh, Whitney, for this yeah. delicious June shine.
1: And all you got to do now is see the machine story, and then uh, yeah. that's it. <laughs>
2: deal yeah awesome. I need to learn how to do punchlines out of tragedy that's something I would love oh, to get <laughs> feedback on
1: I'm working on it right now I'll tell you thank you
2: yeah thank you